Do me a favor. Let me just see a smile one more time. Okay, boys. Rape them. Drop it. Duncan and both come correct. Hey, everybody. It's Bo. I'm here with my pal Duncan. Hi, everyone. I'm Duncan. And on today's show... <laughs> we've never opened the show like this. I'm sorry I'm ruining it. On today's show, we're going to be talking about uh, two uh, peppy to die slappy. <laughs> two front to be back. Oh, shit. That's a good one. Um, yeah. No, this is uh, Duncan and Bo come correct. This incarnation of it is, of course, uh, Duncan and Bo are too old to die young. Uh, yep. Words that get tr- more true every day. <laughs> Ah, <laughs> yeah. uh, dear. Just put it on my tombstone. <laughs> too, he was too old to die young. Oh, he was just a wee man. No, no, no. He was too old to die young. Yep. That's too old saying. to die young. Too skippy to be flippy. <laughs> I don't... There is something I love about that. Like, none of it makes any sense, but I love the too old to do... You know, like, too something to do something. Yeah, it just makes me happy. I do it all the time. I just like in my in my own head, Duncan. Sometimes what I'm thinking to myself is, you know, too spanky to be wanky. You know, yeah. that's what's going on in my head. That's literally me every day. Have you ever? But been... never an office. Never an office. What? Sorry, have I ever been what? <laughs> have you ever been wanky? Speaking of, <laughs> maybe just before we recorded. But I will leave that in the air. I'll leave it in the air. You probably heard this recently, as did I, but there was a, a an interview with Ernest Borgnine mm-hmm. um, where someone asked him what the secret of his youth was or his vitality because he was 91 and, and on a talk show. Yeah. Uh, and he said, oh, I shouldn't tell you. And they're like, no, 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 tell us. You're 91 years old. How the fuck did that happen? And he, he said, well, masturbation. Yep. You know. Everyone got uncomfortable. Yeah, no. If that really fast. <laughs> yeah. Oh, if that's the case, I'm gonna Benjamin button this shit. <laughs> hey, so um, here's the thing. Uh, for those of you listening, first of all, thank you. Second of all, <laughs> we can't thank you enough. <laughs> yeah, this is so true. What are you doing with your life? Is something you should be asking yourself. But aside from that. Aside from the like the clear mistake you were making, mm-hmm. we appreciate it. Also, uh, some people have voiced some concern, like, "Hey, I don't, I don't watch that show too old to die young." And, yep. And some people are wrong, but hey, first of all, maybe you should give it a yeah. give it a try. Uh, second of all, you know, it's uh, you don't have to watch the show to enjoy this show because we're going to tell you all the shit that happens. And we're not going to say, like, spoilers. It's just going to be talking about the show and what happens in it. So if you don't want to know what happens in uh, Too Sparky to be Marky Mark, <laughs> then uh, then you should stop listening and then watch the show and then come back and listen to us uh, goof on it a little bit. Otherwise, mm-hmm. you can just listen to the show and it's fine. That's fine. That'll yeah. work. No, you don't. Uh, we're, we're not going to stand on ceremony here. You're welcome. Step into the light, children. All are welcome. (laughs) They are welcome, Bo. And, uh, but to begin the show, we don't just jump in to what we're talking about because that is a level of efficiency we have not yet reached. We're getting there. Uh, Slowly but surely. I, I reckon, I reckon by 
2025, we might just have it. In the year 2525, <laughs> when Duncan and Bo get right to the shit. Yeah, <laughs> that's going to be the theme song. Yeah, it's going to be pretty good uh, when we get to that. Yeah, I already imagine that when it happens, though, we um, we uh, take an aside. <laughs> yeah. Uh, right, we immediately tangent off the off the song. Like the yeah. song itself just interrupts itself to talk about another song. That would be really indicative of the kind of show we do. Here. Pretty much all we do. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I apologize for nothing. Um, I am. Um, this gives away the day of this recording, but uh, today the final episode of Devour the Podcast dropped. Yes, it did, and which you described. That was months ago. You recorded it clearly, but because uh, I think we hadn't started doing Westworld yet, so that's how long ago that was. It was a long time ago. Yes. Yeah, you describe me and you doing this show as two <laughs> married men that just do a whole lot of fucking on the side. <laughs> yeah, I I stand by that. I always chucked my coffee at my desk at work. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like we have an open podcasting relationship. Yep, uh, and then. I, I had to explain to people why they were wrong for looking at me like I had done something wrong. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. It was one of those things I like. The show had been uh, done forever. It had been wrapped uh, for some time. And uh, people kept asking me, like, hey, when is that last episode of Devour the Podcast coming out? And I would say, I don't know, whenever David finishes editing it. Mm-hmm. And then I get a message from Ed, uh, from David uh, a few days ago. And he says, hey, can you edit that last show? <laughs> and i was like yeah i guess how long was it i forget and it turns out that the initial uh recording was about four and a half hours long oh, which uh, which is not the final product i mean the final product is about three hours long but yeah it was it was a beast and so i've spent a lot of time uh over the past three days uh editing that up but uh but i'm, I'm happy about it i thought it was i thought it was a fun show and a a fitting send-off and you know, and it, it was kind of nice that we, it wasn't a whole lot about it being the last episode. It was just like, Hey, we're going to do an episode. And then at the end of it, David's going to cry. Yeah. And that makes me happy. And every episode you end that way. <laughs> With just the sound of someone cry. Does it have to be David or can it just be anyone's tears? Oh, I don't know. I'd be happy if it was David. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. He cries well for a man. You know, like some men cry, you're like, <sighs> you know, like others. It's like just sloth from the Goonies? Totally like, you know, hey, you guys. <laughs> you know, uh-huh. chunk. No, sloth bird. You know, like, that's a bad sloth. I Mama, you've been <laughs> bad. Oh, my little sloggy. <laughs> I was about to slip back into John Polito there. Oh, did somebody hear you? Yeah. Oh, the boo boo. But yeah, no, it was good. It was good to to uh, uh, good and bad. Obviously, uh, good to hear another episode. Bad to hear that that's the the show now going. Uh, like I said many moons ago, uh, one of the the kind of keystones of uh, my kind of interest in starting up not only podcasting, but doing horror podcasting. So <laughs> who would have thought way back then, me and you would be doing stuff as nuts. Well, I mean, I knew it all along because <laughs> I have the gift of second sight, Duncan. Oh, so the show was your idea. So <laughs> there's that too. Yeah. Um, like you can't, you can't claim you can't. Yeah. I always knew it was going to happen once I had that idea, you know, it's like, <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it again, like you said, it, it it's one of those things where it's bittersweet because it was such a fun show to do, but it was also one of those things that you know, like we, it was so it became so difficult to get everyone together, um, yep. and and sort of the stuff that I felt like I wanted to do didn't really fit the mold of Devour the podcast, and at a certain point, you're you're sort of you know square pegging a round hole. Yeah, yeah. There's there's always a bit when I think that's why the podcast under the stairs has so many variety in the segments that we do. Like the episodes week from week are a kind of hodgepodge and mess of different collections or you know like different like kind of sub sub shows and all this. Because if I was essentially doing a, a similar platform of shows. For, I did that. I did it for a year, and I got to the end of it. I was like, "Well, I don't really think I've got anything else to say." And that's yeah. like, I, I haven't listened to the episode. The thing that you guys pivoted on was that you're and kind of doubled down on in an interesting way. Something I never really kind of given much thought to is, as your show had went longer, the movie reviews became the small part of the show, and actually, the stuff that you all seem to really enjoy doing was the bits that you all really enjoyed doing, which was the interaction with the listeners, the talking about news, the covering the movies that you'd all watched yourself. And it, it kind of, like, the, the the review part, which way back in the day was, like, easily 75% of the show, um, had just become the vehicle in order to allow you to do all the rest of it. Yeah. Which seems weird, you know what I mean? Because podcasting's an audio form which allows you to do whatever you want. And you could easily just have a show in which you did that, but that kind of, that anchor of, well, we have to, at, at some point, review a horror movie, um, it's probably the bit that overstayed its welcome. So... Yeah, and, and for weirdly. me... Yeah, I mean, you're right, and and I think it was, uh, I think it might have been Jamie who, who brought that up, and, and she was absolutely right about it, and um, and I, I think at a certain point, it's like, okay, well, if we if we get rid of this segment and this segment and this segment, at what point are you just, you know, it's it's the, uh, you're going to have to remind me of, uh, I think, was it John Dies at the end? The, yes. The, the story about the axe? Yes, yeah, that, yeah. That's like, that's exactly. If you replace the axe handle and then later replace the axe blade, at what point does it become a different axe? Yeah, you know, and so it was that sort of thing. Of and and for me personally, my sort of sort of the arc of what I'm interested in doing in podcasting has become more and more sort sort of a more narrative style of show. Yeah. And it's the thing I enjoy, like the, the pick six stuff in Hero Hero Go Show is a real good example of that, where sort of my favorite things about those shows are, are the things that are like, oh, this is very carefully scripted and there's a, like a higher production to it and mm-hmm. that sort of thing. And I think ultimately, here's here's where the, the Ouroboros comes in, Duncan, <laughs> is that in many ways, the podcast under the stairs was inspired, at least partially, to you know, by by your own admission, by uh, devour the podcast. Oh, it definitely was. So now I feel like the stuff that I want to do is more like the stuff you've been doing with podcast under the stairs, where it's like, oh, well, let's just do a variety of shit mm-hmm. that is just under one banner, but it's a bunch of different stuff. Yeah, and and so that's more the direction that I, I've been headed lately, and. Um, and I'm very excited. Like I've been working on some other stuff and, and, and getting, 
Yeah, really, I'm in the lab, Duncan, the podcast lab, <laughs> testing things and seeing what I enjoy doing. And That explains the haircut. Um, does it? Does it really? Does anything explain my hair? I, I argue no. No, uh, I say no, sir. I bid you good day. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, 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 that's, you know, a, a lot of, you know, how the sausage gets made. But also it's really... It's one of those things like, it, you know, the only constant in life is change. Mm -hmm. And um, I think it was Jerry or eh, I can't remember who it was now. I don't want to fuck it up and get it wrong. But it had made the joke like, okay, well, we'll see in 15 years where the, when there's a reboot. <laughs> yeah. And, and I was like, that that's both funny and true because that's about the point where it's like, you know what we ought to do? We ought to go back to this format that looks remarkably like that of Devour the Podcast. Uh, yeah, well, that's that's the beauty of it. I think that's the, the the cool thing about, like, just in general, like, the way things are now is that you find, like, I, I found in the past that, like, what you do is you get people then crediting you. Like, personally, I've had people credit me and what I've done um, as, like, you know, they're, they're kind of almost opening the gate for them to try and do something uh and then they go off and they have really cool ideas and then that comes back and influences what i do um and as i think in a lot of respects is all about like podcasting and a lot of respects is about passing the torch you know what i mean yeah. like at a certain point when you've exhausted what you can do with that format it's about handing it off to someone else who will take their own spin on it breathe new life into it and you yourself very much like uh max on side out in that awful judge Dredd movie you just kind of get yourself a big old gun put on your, your windbreaker and walk out into the desert the condemned land uh and kill mutants or be killed yourself yeah i i don't think there's a more apt comparison Mm -hmm. Um, in fact, that's, you know, before you even said it, I was like, this is just like Max von Sydow from Judge Dredd. <laughs> We've been podcasting too long. Uh-huh. Uh, hey, hey, speaking of us podcasting, let's get to a show. So we like to begin here, folks, with a, uh, a segment that we call, I don't know what to call this, where we, <laughs> <laughs> where we talk about what we've been watching, uh, good and bad, one good, one bad, and, and Duncan as ever. I'm very curious to, to hear what you've been watching and what I should then watch. Right. Um, so in terms of, well, let's let's start with the good. So two nights ago, and I'm, I'm using the term good here kind of loosely, although I will say unabashedly I really enjoyed what I saw. Um, I went out and checked the new Annabelle movie out. Mm-hmm. So that first movie is a whole lot of boring nonsense, a whole lot of cliche and a whole lot of lack of Duncan's interest. Um, the second installment, I actually think still, as it stands just now, is maybe the best movie in that whole kind of extended James Wan conjuring, or as Jamie would call it, Waniverse mm -hmm. sort of thing. I still think it's the best out of the lot. It's the one that seemed to be in tune with what they needed to do in that series. The third one, though, is probably the most fun, like, out of the entire Wanaverse sort of thing. Um, and that essentially what it is, is it's like a, a Goosebumps movies for adults. Hmm, okay. Uh, I, I so think the, I'm with you. So the story being um, that the Warrens have... So this is set after the Warrens uh, collect Annabelle... 
and take them back to well, take her back to the their kind of cabinet of curiosities, so to speak, um, and they lock him in there. And Annabelle is locked in a special cage because Annabelle is the vehicle in which a demon almost is almost like a magnet, you know, attracts evil to or or even on some level like um, causes disruption within other haunted objects. So I. I can't go into the full thing because no one's spoiling it necessarily, but suffice to say, uh, Annabelle gets loose and all the really nasty shit that's in the Warren's house um, is stirred up and it starts wreaking havoc on the, the Warren's daughter and her babysitter uh, and her babysitter's friend. And yeah, it's, it's a big, dumb movie. But it's a big dumb movie that kept making me smile, and I think they've got potential for about seven different spin-offs from the characters of introduced because that's what we do in one of these movies. But yeah, it is it is so so inoffensive as a movie, uh, and so clearly just designed to be like almost like a a kind of a sideshow horror house. Of right, we'll turn around the corner. Right here's the next. It was like a, a non shite thirteen ghosts. Um, you know what I mean how dare Uh, you and there was a couple of I mean the remake not the original Uh, there's there's a couple of like really kind of interesting there's like the the bloody bride the fairy man was the one that I thought was really fucking cool and yeah just just a, a lot of that acting wasn't great it certainly benefits from being shot pretty much all in one location and yeah, I, I had fun with it. I don't think it's it's not the best Annabelle movie. It's probably in the mid-tier of the kind of extended Conjuring Universe movies. But it's probably the one I've had the most fun watching. Because it just kept going, right, now you turn around this corner, look at this fucking thing, right? Now we're going to go here. Oh, by the way, remember this one's free. Um, in a way that I kind of got behind. So as cinema experiences go for a movie, I actually think... Weirdly enough, if you'd asked me about all the properties that they were going on to do or teasing to do, after that first Annabelle movie, I was like, let it die. And I'm like, yeah, actually, give me another Annabelle movie and no Conjuring 3. You know what I mean? I don't need to see another one of those Conjuring movies. Just give me Annabelle 4, uh, you know, or give me Annabelle 5. I will watch, I'll happily watch that one because to me, there is life in that. You know, they can do a lot of things. Like, whenever Annabelle gets loose, whatever she's around is agitated and then it becomes an issue that to me is a really easy way of of doing movies compared to something like the nun or you know whatever the next thing they're going to do or move forward with so yeah that was that is my views on that so that was my good what's your good bo my good oh i I had my bad pulled up hang on let me well you give me your bad all right i'll I'll tell you let, let me start with my bad which isn't even that bad it's just kind of mediocre Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's a 2009 Taiwanese film, uh, or I guess, uh, Thai, yeah, because Thailand is Thai. Never mind. Taiwanese film. <laughs> I had to check my math on that. Uh, called Invitation Only, which is kind of a slasher with a bit of a social commentary bent to it, which sounds better than it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the idea is, as the title suggests, there is a party being held that is invitation only, and it's uh, the main character um, gets the invite from his boss after after seeing his boss like <laughs> fucking this model that what you <laughs> see on billboards all over town, 
and the and, and this guy, the hero of the story, is this guy's driver, and he so he clocks him, you know, fucking this model, and the the rich guy that he works for is like, hey. Um, how about you keep your mouth shut and you can have this invitation to this swanky party and you just say that you're my cousin Yeah, and you can have a good time. Like you want to fuck a model, you'll be able to fuck a model there. It'll be great. And sure enough, the guy goes to this party and ends up fucking the same model, then realizes the, the, the big twist of the film is that all of the people who were invited to this party are in the same boat in that they work for very powerful people who gave them this invitation. And now all these rich people are hunting them for sport inside this big building. Ah, and, right. And so therein lies the social commentary. The, the problem is it's just not very creative beyond that. Um, it's kind it, it's okay. It's one of those movies that as soon as it was done, it was like, that was almost entirely forgettable. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, there, the thing that's disappointing about it is I think you can do something really good with that premise, and and this movie doesn't really squander it. It just feels a little, eh, a little ham fisted, a little a little unsteady at times. It kind of meanders from hey, we want to be sort of a torture porn film at times to we want to be a slasher to we want to be this kind of black comedy and none of those pieces really go together the way that you want them to. Um, so yeah, it was a little disappointing. It's, you know, in my, my tour through Asian horror cinema, I, every now and again, you run across one that's kind of a dud and, uh, invitation only is, you know, merely okay. It's been, interestingly enough, it's been on my list for a while. It's one that it got a bit of traction. I think it did quite well in its home. Country, but I don't know if that's because there maybe it wasn't much necessarily coming out that year, or yeah. Well, and also you're right. I just don't know that there's necessarily a ton of you know movies from Taiwan that are you know like hey here here's a homemade or homegrown slasher <laughs> film horror film, and mm. you know I can see a little bit of national pride bumping up the box office performance, not necessarily based on, hey, this is actually a great movie or anything. Yeah, yeah, I can see that as well. Um, right, well, let me swing my bad. This was one I was going to mention last week, but then I managed to mention a bad movie last week. And I can't remember what it was that I mentioned last week, but um, this week I will mention a movie that I watched just over a week ago, which um, I, I was kind of... I had a, a bit of trepidation about revisiting because overall I remember it being so so when I was a kid and then coming back to watch it I realised that it's not a good movie at all and that is Children of the Corn. Yeah, that's not a good movie, Bo. Oh, really like OG really. Children of the Corn? Oh yeah, o OG, yeah. yeah. I, I'm, I'm having to do the first three because the first three are in the... Wait for it. This will boggle your mind. The first three of those movies are in the 88 Films Slasher Classics Collection. It's a slasher film? I mean... But, mm. No, it's not a slasher, but they have put it in their collection as a slasher movie. It's I, not a slasher movie. It's yeah. not. It's all it's about fucking demons and shit like that. And I suppose stabby, stabby kids, but if that's the if that's the merit to get things classed as a 
slasher then. It's a lot of movie slashers, apparently. That collection's a troublesome one because of the 13 movies I've seen thus far, I would genuinely class five of them as slashers. A whole hell of a lot of them in there that are not. But yeah, Children of the Corner is not a movie that is even remotely held up. You know, uh, if a slight plug here on uh, if you happen to be a Patreon subscriber for Legion Podcast, there is a commentary uh, between me and the Friday the 13th guys uh, talking about uh, Children of the Corn. Oh. And, and that oh, movie, I yeah, I, it's not... It No, it is not a good movie at all, but there is something hilarious to me about... Uh, um, is it Isaac? Is that the, the main bad kid? Yeah, so the, yeah, he, there's the, yeah, Isaac's he, he the wants one that to looks, meet you, Mordecai. Yeah, that's Isaac. Yeah, it looks like a like a like a horribly aged infant. <laughs> you know right. what I mean? Yeah, no, he's like if uh like an Amish progerian. <laughs> <laughs> he looks like what he should be doing is wearing a red raincoat and running around Venice. No kidding. Yeah, Donald Sutherland hot on the trail, sure. <laughs> <laughs> he's just so... T- he's, I, just touch on, I don't know, there's just so much about that movie that I thought I remember... I couldn't even remember Linda Hamilton being in that movie. Um, and I, I was like, oh, Linda Hamilton's in this movie? Right off the... I mean, she must have done Terminator by then. She must have. Uh, had she? I mean, that Terminator was what, 83, 84? Yeah, and then um, Children of Corn's E5, I want to say. Yeah, maybe she had. I wonder. It, she See, probably had already signed that contract when Terminator yeah, you, hit. Yeah, yeah, you've you've already come off. You've come off Terminator. You're 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 riding that that wave high, and then you go on that. You know, Stephen King. He's had some great movies. Done it like today. One check it, Christine. Like uh, the Dead Zone, The Shining. This is going to be great. And then you're in that movie, and then you see Outlander. And you're like, oh no, this is a bad choice. Yeah, Courtney Gaines is many things. Uh, a fine actor is not one of them. Oh no. Um, the other thing I really like about Children of the Corn is there is a scene where uh, Peter Horton, the the lead actor in that film, is running around a corner and fucking eats it. And yeah. It, it's the best thing in the movie as far as I'm concerned because it is totally unscripted. It is just seeing an actor and fellow human being just go face first into the ground. Mm-hmm. It's it's pretty good. Yep, yep. Yeah, but it's not I've very good. I've still got two still to go in that series. Um, and I don't... I, I want to see... I've either seen part two or part three. I I'm not entirely sure which one I have seen, but I dare say I will find out quickly. I, so, I, yeah. I've seen that original Children of the Corn probably three or four times. Probably more than that, if I'm being honest. But I I don't think I've seen any of the other ones. Yeah, I think, I, I, I think there are like over six now with them. And, well, one came out last year, I think. And they've done remakes and like all that stuff. Like there was a sci-fi channel version of it and I never mm-hmm. saw none of them because I was like, no, no, no. I've seen the one I need to see because they're all going to be remakes of that movie. Yeah. Not the actual story. I believe the trending hashtag for that is one and done. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah that's that's my bad that is not a good movie it is not aged well it is not held up well and 88 films if you are listening not a fucking slasher so yeah suck at 88 films <laughs> what's well, your good then oh duncan i've been watching a lot of good shit lately mm-hmm. uh i could hey you want me to talk about the 76 king kong i can do that 
All right. <laughs> you want you want to talk about a little Jason X? I can do that too. Oh, I love Jason. Like like once again, why is Cronenberg not in that movie for at least half? Because he was only there for a day. Yeah, but give him at least half. I know, I know. But that movie is pure ridiculous fun. But the it's movie, great movie I want to talk about, Duncan, is Mission Impossible Fallout. It's a great fucking movie, bro. Man, as far as just a straight-up pure action film goes, it is yep. like the John Wick movies and that. Yeah, like I saw at the cinema... And when I came out, I said to my wife, that might be, one, my favorite Mission Impossible movie, and two, the best action movie of the year, because there was no John Wick that year. Yeah. So, yeah, no. it was, I, like, you, like, I, I don't like Tom Cruise. I've never liked Tom Cruise. He's he's in a handful of movies that I actually can say that I enjoy. I, I've, I've never really liked him, and that was before all the Scientology shit. <laughs> but credit where credit's due to that guy. That, that, that's a helicopter flying. He's flying that helicopter. It, like, did you see? I don't know if you've ever seen a clip of him, like eat it, jumping from that one building to the one where he actually breaks his ankle, and they continue rolling the shot, and he gets up and finishes the fucking scene. I like, I have not seen that. Like he literally stands up. He, you see him bite, like, tries to jump off. He hits the building, which is I think is it was either not supposed to be the stunt, but they kept it in the movie because like you don't ruin that footage. But he gets up on a broken ankle and then run hobbles right towards the camera and past to finish his scene. And he does it in a way like he's that he was out of shooting for I think they, they had to cancel shooting for like a month or something um until it was all set. But he fucking did that. And that dude's in his fifties, bro. Yeah. Yeah, I mean you can't really tell other than his face is starting to get old, you know, like yeah. it's starting to fill out a little bit the way that it does when, you know, time has its way with people. Yeah, when when time has its way with people in their early forties. Yeah, no, you're right about that. I mean, I've still got the boyish good looks, but I'm an exception, not the rule. And Tom Cruise, I, I agree with you. He, I'm not a native fan. Uh, Chad, my my co-host on Pick 6 Movies, has a theory that I subscribe to, which is when Tom Cruise is trying to be a hero, I don't like him. But yeah. if he's playing an asshole, I think he's great. And this is kind of one of the rare exceptions to that rule where he is the hero in this movie, and I think he's he's pretty good in this movie. Yep. But it kind of doesn't matter. Like, I think the story arc of, like, oh, this is sort of about Ethan Hunt being the kind of guy. And he doesn't, like, his arc doesn't really change that much other than he gets a little bit of release that he, he kind of understands that it's, you know, it he doesn't have to carry some of the guilt and some of yeah, the worry his, he does. Yeah, his story, like, out with the minor bit of you know, my my ex will now be safe or the, my love of my life will now be safe. Out with that, his character arc is flatlined, Bo. And right. that's what I kind of love about it. I don't want, like, we're so far into it now that as a character, all I want is Mission Impossible movies. I don't really want, you know, and now he's learned to love. And now he's learned, <laughs> right. you know what I mean? Fuck that. All I want him to do is do what he's doing and just keep doing that. Well, and because it becomes about the rest of the world yeah. wrapping around him. Yes. Where, you know, because yes. the whole premise is, oh, he fucked up by valuing the lives of his team over the world. And so that was a mistake. And then by the end of the movie, it's like, oh, no, that wasn't a mistake. That's why he's a hero. 
that's who that's why he is who he is right that I, he, I love that aspect yeah i thought that was really good and and like you were saying man the the action sequences in this fucking movie are mind-blowing it is yeah. so good like, the, like i want to watch kinda, it again right now <laughs> yeah the, the kind of heist stuff they do and right, it's been a while so is venice is it venice or is it Paris? Uh, it's Paris that they're yeah. in. Yeah, because, because oh, they're at the Sin, yeah. All that stuff is absolutely fucking brilliant. Yeah. Like, all that... of it is brilliant. And then to finish off with, like, helicopters are not interesting, Bo. But, like, the, the helicopter stuff at the end of that movie is fucking brilliant. He rams a helicopter with another helicopter, and that's the <laughs> kind of shit I want to see in a movie. You know? Like, that was amazing. Even that rooftop chase... Oh, was, so was really really good like all the action sequences feel visceral and authentic and 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 propulsive mm-hmm. and like i was like i was watching it on the big screen in my basement and i was kind of on the edge of my seat like gripping the chair at times and being like man this movie is fucking awesome uh so yeah. i really really liked mission impossible fallout I, I agree i think it's the best of those movies for sure Mm-hmm. And 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 truly one of the best action movies I've ever seen. It's probably in my top top ten or twenty action movies now. Oh yeah, I, I, I genuinely like. I was surprised how much I liked it because I've seen them all. Uh, I don't know why I've seen them all because there's a couple of duds in there. Yeah, Mission um, Impossible Two is a tough set. Yeah, that, poor John Woo, man. Honestly, just, like, he's just like the roughest deal ever in Hollywood. Yeah, just, poor guy. He just got like he just got passed from like fucking he got strong armed from diva to diva. Um but that third one with Philip Seymour Hoffman's good fucking movie. Mm-hmm. Um and then the one after that I don't think I was as keen on. Uh, the one where the I think the previous one to that ghost recon or whatever it was Rogue was Nation. in uh, ghost Rogue Nation. Recon. I think that same thing. Uh, yeah, you're right. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and he's, <laughs> uh, it was in Dubai and stuff like that. And it wasn't all that interesting. I kind of been like, uh, yeah, I don't know if I can be bothered actually going to see another one if this is like you know it's doing what every franchise does. It's like eventually running at steam, becoming highly derivative and all the rest. And I watched this movie and I was like, I will happily see another. I will happily go and see another one at the cinema now. Not yeah. a problem. That that's bought enough goodwill for at least one or two bad movies before I'm I'm in this position again. So. I got This is a minor thing, but one of the things I really liked about it was at how at the beginning of the movie, when they're rolling credits, you know, and, and doing the Mission Impossible theme, they just show you clips for shit you're about to see. Oh yeah, I, I'm I thought big, that was great. I, I am a big fan of that. That weirdly is is a technique that I can't remember the name of the TV show. There's a TV show recently that has started doing that. It basically, in the credits at the start, it shows you maybe two or three kind of very quick flashpoints of what is going to be in there. And I think that's, like, to me, that gets me hyped. I see that, and I'm like, oh, and it's all out of context. I'm like, well, what is that helicopter doing? I can't wait till I get to the helicopter bit. Yeah, but, like, I, I, I am 100% with you. Um, to me, it got I, I got the, the five out of five in enjoyment. Like, just dumb. It's a dumb action movie that knows exactly how many action scenes to give you and where to put them in a movie. Like, it's perfectly yeah. paced. Perfectly it, paced. And, and I'm, like, I'm not a very smart person, Duncan. Mm-hmm. So... A lot of times when I'm watching those Mission Impossible movies, and Rogue Nation is a great example of this, was was like, I don't even know what the fuck is going on in this movie. <laughs> yeah. Who's who? Yeah, right. Like, And it's not because they pull off faces all the time or nothing. Face off. 
but it, it's because the the plots are just so convoluted and oh this person is, is double crossing this person and i'm like i don't even know what what but this does a fine job like there are a couple of points in the movie where one of the characters will be like okay why are we doing this again and yeah. i'm like thank you yeah. I'm glad that another character was like, oh, we are doing this for this reason. It's and usually Simon Pegg. Usually Simon Pegg or uh, with Rebecca Ferguson in it now. Like, she can pop up every now and again and be like, what the fuck are you guys doing? Why are you here? And they're like, yeah. oh, this is what we're doing. You're like, thank you. And they should just keep making these movies, if nothing else, to allow Ving Rhames to be on the screen. Like, like forever. He has the best line in the movie, as far as I'm concerned, when uh, Michelle Moynihan, like towards the end of the movie when they're at the hospital camp and whatnot, and Michelle Moynihan says, you know, how uh, you're, you're with Ethan a lot. How is he? And he just goes, oh, you know, same old Ethan. Yeah. And it's such a, his delivery is, is like so warm and friendly, but also like, you know, he's just he's fucking crazy. What do you want me to tell you? Like he's he's jumping on a helicopter right now. What do you want me to do? You know, yeah, it's it, fantastic. I I I was so it really knocked my socks off, and it's it's tough for an action movie to do that these days. Yeah, like like I said, aside from those John Wick movies that are so outrageously choreographed, and this isn't like that. This is a much more like more stunt oriented almost, as opposed to kind of that kung gun fu stuff which is awesome. And, you know, people are still getting hit by cars and shit like that. But there's that scene where Tom Cruise hits a car on a motorcycle and goes over the top of it, where I was like, mm. the fuck, man? I Like, I, they might have, like, CGI'd his face onto somebody or whatever, but it sure as hell looked like Tom Cruise hit a car and flew the fuck off of a motorcycle. I'm, I'm fairly sure it was Tom Cruise. I, I, think he's that, I think he's that invested in what he does with those movies. And, like I say, don't like him. Don't, you know, don't like his beliefs. Yeah. Uh, I don't but, really like him as an actor, but in those movies, like, yeah. yeah cool dude. It, it reminded me of the one good scene from that Mummy remake where he's on the plane and it's going down. Mm -hmm. It's like, wow, that's a really cool, exciting moment. And the rest of the movie's just dog yeah. shit. And an otherwise dull experience. Right, but that one shot was really cool. And this whole movie is that shot over and over and over again in different scenes of just like, holy shit, man, that's impressive. Like, like the scene when he jumps out of the plane is a really cool shot where you go from tracking him inside the plane to mm -hmm. literally jumping out with him and then turning around and stuff. And again, it's one of those things where like, I don't even know how they did that. I don't know if that was a practical shot. I don't know if they CGI'd some of that or, you know, hid the edit somewhere or whatever. But at a certain point, I just gave up trying to figure it out and just enjoyed the shit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Anyway, I swear to God, I feel like I'm going to go campaign. You know, <laughs> be on street corners handing flyers out about Mission Impossible Fallout. The thing is, though, that movie did a lot of business. You don't, you don't need to convert anyone to that one. That one did a shit lot of business. So much so that I think they've announced one or two. Yeah, um, I, I hope so, man. I like, like you said, I after Rogue Nation, I wasn't necessarily hot on, which is why I didn't yeah. go see it, this one in the theater. Yeah, yeah, and also because I know I can kind of create a theater experience for myself. Well, yeah, I think yeah, I think you you are in the right position to be very choosy about what you see in the cinema now. So, yeah, it's it, one of those things where if I don't if I don't feel like I'm obligated to see it in the theater, like I saw that Spider Man movie in the theater just because I wanted that experience, and mm -hmm. 
uh, and and also I didn't want the shit spoiled for me. And yeah. I, and that's really the only reason I think I go at this point. It's just like eh, I don't want somebody to ruin it for me. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, other than that, um, I haven't done it yet. But I'm I'm I don't know a week away from mounting the speakers in the ceiling. So nice. I know. Anyway, enough of that nonsense, Duncan. Mm-hmm. It's time to get to uh, some raw shit. Yeah. C- can I? Can we just take a second here and be a bit confused as to. Why this, like, why this show has been so polarizing with critics? Like, I'm, we are now, by the end of this episode, we will have finished episodes five and six. Mm-hmm. So we are beyond the halfway mark. And this show, in my opinion, is just going from strength to strength every episode. Like, every episode, to me, is doing the right thing. It's escalating in the right way. It's, like, visual porn for the eyes. And at the same time... It's giving me intriguing characters. It's teasing enough intrigue to keep me interested. And there's always, just in the back, just in the back, this threat of hyper-violence, which sometimes manifests and sometimes doesn't. I mean, I don't... I don't interestingly enough, the episodes four and the episode we're coming to five, which covers the story arc, really, of... Uh, Miles Teller's character, Martin, um, kind of really joining forces with Vigo and then taking on a side mission, right? This was what was taken to Cannes. So this is what was played at Cannes. So um, Wyndon Refn took these two episodes and played them back to back as one long movie. Uh, <laughs> right. Like, here is the worst of humanity. Enjoy. Yeah, and it, it, it blew some people's minds um, as a teaser of what might come in the show. Arguably, you could say that episodes four and five thus far, if we're going to talk about, are the most action-packed of all the episodes. That being said, that being said, yeah, I just, I, I've been, I've been checking because, like, obviously, like, it came out weeks and weeks ago now. That I keep jumping on to check to see. Don't know why I keep doing it, but I keep going back back on things like Rotten Tomatoes, back on IMDb. Uh, I'll Google things to see what the overall score is like for for the show because I I want to try and get a good kind of census poll for what opinions are overall on the show. Because to me, like I say, every episode that finishes, I'm like, that was fucking rad, and then I jump online and it's. It's just people moaning. I, I like once again. I don't want to lean too much into it, but at this stage, I can. I'm giving away my, my feelings. Like well beyond the halfway mark now, in a position by the end of this episode where we will only have four episodes left. I think this is up there with the best TV I've seen this year. So, I, I don't know unless it shits the bed massively in the next four episodes, which is possible. Um, there's just to me too much to enjoy. There, <laughs> too much to hate this show. That's the name. <laughs> too you know too I mean? good to hate show. <laughs> too, too good to hate show. Too I... broken to be English. Um, <laughs> so <you> know, <laughs> so it's, it's it's just you know what I mean. It's, yeah, I, like I'm. I don't disagree with you, but just to play devil's advocate. Please do, because I'm blinded. I'm biased as well. I love Nicholas Winden Raffin. Uh, sure, and and I'm certainly more on board than I have ever been. Mm-hmm. But I also can see someone like all the reasons that I have my issues with with Refn, um are the reasons I could see people really disliking this show because it is 
it is it is slowly paced for the yep. most part. I would it, say deliberately paced. I, I agree. Like I said, I'm I'm putting on my devil's advocate. <laughs> like, mm. hee hee, I'm the devil, Duncan. Um <laughs> <laughs> I don't like too old to die young. It takes forever to do anything. Um, <laughs> so I take a second to acknowledge and welcome the devil to Duncan and Bo are too old to die young. It's been a while. I actually thought it was going to show up here during Twin Peaks, but I'm glad he waited. I like to watch that one from the benches. <laughs> that was just for me. Now I've got my work hat on, which has holes in it for the horns. Obs, obs. Yeah, but like, right, so the, like slowly paced. So, and... Slowly paced, and also it it deals with subject matter that can be uncomfortable to say the least, and we're going to get into that in a big bad way. Oh, yeah, in, like in the opening episode. of episode, they'll put the opening, what, five minutes of episode five. The, are, and then the concluding hour and 25? Sure. Y- yeah, or <laughs> maybe some of the most uncomfortable things I've ever seen on TV, but isn't that, to me, that even good or bad in its delivery is worth acknowledging. I can't think of any other TV show that had pushed the, pushed the boundaries of what is maybe acceptable or comfortable in a TV episode in right. any show that I've never seen. So surely that is enough to lean down and say, well, you know, give him credits for this. He's at least taking risks. But when you read it, it's just like nothing happens. There's fucking shitloads happening. Yeah, no, you're right. And But I think some, some credit, I mean, look, critics are people too. And I think some people just aren't looking to be challenged. Like the the same people who would tell you that like Breaking Bad is the most you know challenging television they've ever seen. Yeah, this may be that bridge too far, where it's it's too experimental. It, it's too. Uh, it, I was gonna say offensive, offensive, offensive to some, to others. Just like oh, this is dealing with very dark. Well, like all the characters are dark, and the subject matter is dark, and all that stuff. <laughs> I love- I love, I love that as being maybe the disclaimer for Pinhead's stand-up show. <laughs> <laughs> Too offensive to some, jovial to others. <laughs> I will tear your funny bone apart. <laughs> you, you paid the cover. We came. <laughs> oh no, tears, child. That was my warm-up routine. <laughs> this set will be legendary even in hell <laughs> has anyone heard about this the toilets that do not flush on the airplane let me tell you this story it was hellish <laughs> it did not flush someone left a floater <laughs> you do not upper deck the dark lords of hell <laughs> Oh, I still want to see that tour now. <laughs> Don't you hate it when you're on vacation and someone opens up the puzzle box? <laughs> I was about to drink my Mai Tai, and now I'm in Pittsburgh. I put in my time off last millennia. You'd think that the chatterer could cover for a while. <laughs> <laughs> I like all of this. Oh <laughs> my god, yes. But yeah. <laughs> podcast. <laughs> the pinhead stand up show. Too hot to be hell. Uh, um. <laughs> um <laughs> But but yeah, so I think I I think there is a segment of of the critical 
population, as well as a large segment of just the plain old human population, mm-hmm. that you show the first five minutes of episode five to them, and they're going to be like, the fuck are you showing me? Get out of my house. <laughs> <laughs> so I again I get it and I I've recommended this to people with that caveat of like hey this show is good but yeah don't have the kids anywhere near you oh god no and and also be you know be prepared for a very you know very specific kind of style and and it, but if you respond to it it's going to be great and if you don't you're you know and I even give them, I'm like, hey, if at the point where Billy Baldwin pulls out a stuffed animal and starts purring with it, if the, if you think this is nonsense and I hate it, just turn it off and find another show. Yeah, yeah. So I I get it, I'm, but I'm with you. And, and, you know, let's get into this episode, man. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll tease the beginning of this one, which is uncomfortable. So we open on a warehouse of swords. Yeah, where Doctor Jonas Venture and uh, a, uh, <laughs> actually the actor's name is James Urbaniak, uh, who mm-hmm. plays Stevie in this episode, but he is the voice of Doctor Venture from the Venture Brothers, which I like. Ah, uh-huh. right. He was also in Henry Fool, the Hal Hartley movie. Really? Yes, he was. He was uh, um, the the buddy of Henry Fool, the the main character who becomes a poet. Anyway. So he is interviewing this young man named Andy. Yeah. You know, he's got like a, a tripod set up with, with an iPhone on it. And there are some dudes <laughs> in cowboy hats behind him. Yeah. You know, um, if, if there is a recurring theme to these two episodes, it's panning shots of somebody standing in front while guys in cowboy hats stand behind them. Uh, it really, really, really is. I, I just get the feeling he likes the aesthetic. He just likes the visual things. I'm going to use that shot a lot. And I'm he, just going to have the one that's in focus. We're not going to see his face. Just like linger on that crotch. Like, yes. A lot of crotch. Yeah, there's a lot of dick in, in these two episodes. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> when we get to Jesus later. Uh, Oh dear, I know. Getting boners for his mom. Shit, Jesus, we got to talk. Anyway, so a bunch of a bunch of dudes are hanging out with Stevie, interviewing this kid who is, you know, you don't want to generalize Duncan, but he is certainly exhibiting traits you might associate with being homosexual. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the outfit, maybe the outfit kind of has a kind of hot kind of hot pant denim sort of look and he's like it's very like there's not even teasing into this this like there is no there is no subtlety in the delivery of this scene as soon as the camera pans round and you see there's an like a an iphone on a tripod and then you pan round and see a young like semi-attractive male who says he has just turned 18 Sitting on a couch, it's a fucking casting couch, bro. You know what I mean? And then in the back of my head, right? This is the thing, though. In the back of my head, like I still have the end of episode four, which was Martin left to go and take care of some bee snatch with one of the guys on Damien's really bad list. Right, two brothers who do porn. Yeah. So and- instantly, I'm like, this is not good, right? What well, this is a casting couch, but this doesn't appear to be. The sort of casting couches that I occasionally find online. 
when accidentally trying to balance my books, go through my budgets, um, and those pop-ups happen, you click them, and then before you know it, just hardcore porn. Um, this is this is the, something bad's going to happen, and it's very, you know it's the questioning's creepy. Even though the questioning, I'll give this to Nicholas Winding Refn's credit, um, is that the questions he's being asked are genuinely the sort of questions that are asked in catching uh, casting couch scenes. And I'll put it this way: I will never look at one the same way again. It's only when you hear it through the mouth of uh, James Urbank um, that you very, very quickly realise just how fucking insidious and creepy they actually are. Yeah, well, so some of the questions he asks him, like this kid uh, whose name is Andy, he says, hey, I'm a virgin, but I, I, and, you know, Stevie is like, well, what are you doing here? And he says, I don't know, I guess I want to get fucked. Mm -hmm. And Camera pans background, a whole lot of crotch shots and cowboys. Mm Mm-hmm. And then Stevie asks him, well, what do you fantasize about? And he's a little, Andy's a little cagey about it. And he says, look, I'll go first. I used to fantasize about my brother jerking me off after school. Yeah. <laughs> that, which sets a tone. Yeah. <laughs> and then he says, hey, Andy, how's your asshole? Hot? Wet? Do you like sucking cock, Andy? Yeah, I tell you what happened. Duncan's mouth went dry, numb. <laughs> <laughs> right. And you're just like, holy f- Holy FNS, what is going on? <laughs> and so Andy's like, yeah, I, I guess I like to suck cock. And he's like, you know, would you say you're good at it? And he's like, yeah. And he's like, all right, show me. Show me using your thumb. Mm-hmm. And so Andy kind of sucks his thumb and it's eh, all right, you know, in terms of enthusiasm <laughs> I, on my yeah, blowjob scale. It's a bit lackluster. That's how I felt. I was like, look, man, if you're trying to get a job, <laughs> get the fucking job. Right. Like you need to, you need to show up ready to work day one at a job like this. Yeah. Like uh, even his thumb was limp. That's not a good sign. No, it's not. If, if I were hiring a, uh, a gay pro, not gay prostitute, uh, a, a, a gay, uh, porn star, I would want, I would want to see some tongue. That's for sure. Of course you would. Something along the top. So, so then Stevie <laughs> gives him a pill. Well, they, they, no, Billy, Stevie's employee. Little by the Billy, way, yeah. Which we're going to get to is like maybe my favorite weird character of this episode. Oh, see, see later on with the electric car. See the electric car joke about fucking ended me. Look, that's, the th- that's what I love about the show is like it takes the most horrible subject matter. And um, like later on this episode, I'm giggling like... Like this is some of the funniest shit I've ever seen, but yeah, like little Billy comes across and like thrusts. He, we see off. We don't see it actually. It's off camera. He pill down Andy's throat, and then of course Andy swallows it and then asks what it is. Yeah, and Stevie's like, "Well, that was a birthday present." Yes, yeah, the little birthday present. And, and then uh, <laughs> Stevie basically says, "It's time to get to work," and he's like, "So here's what we're gonna do." We're going to charge a dollar for your asshole and 50 cents for your mouth. And and you need to sign this contract. And he's like, what's it say? He's like, eh, don't worry about it. Just sign it. <laughs> and then he's like, well, I got to get out of here. I got work to do. You're going to do whatever little Billy tells you to do. Uh-huh. And then well, he, Billy is a weird looking guy. He's very he's older. He's uh-huh. sort of tanned and he has a kind of strawberry blonde-ish 
perm. Yeah, it's a perm. perm. Yeah. It's, yeah, like a tight perm. He looks like like a 70s wrestler. He looks like if you... Have you ever seen uh, Every Which Every Which Way But Loose? Of course I have. Just making sure. Remember the the guy that's in charge of the Black Widows? Yeah, like if, if you put a blonde wig on him. That's like, so no yeah. biker helmet. He's actually wearing just a permed wig. That's who he looks like. Yes, I, you're 100% right. And <laughs> so little Billy uh, starts to approach him and Stevie says, stops him and he's like, hey, Andy, let me see you smile one more time. Yeah, this is the worst thing oh, ever. It's so fucking horrible, man, honestly. And and so Andy kind of smiles at him and uh and Stevie goes, "Uh-huh. Okay, boys, rape him." And as he walks out, these dudes just bum rush Andy. Yeah, they grab him, the camera pans away, and then we hear a whole lot of noises that sound like belts coming off, shackles going on, and things going in Andy's mouth. Yeah, it's fucking crazy. It's like, and yet the, I had to pinch myself and remind myself, this is five minutes into episode five of a TV show. Yeah, this is the first scene pre-credits. <laughs> and as they're going after Andy... You see Stevie walk out. He passes by this like naked mannequin, yep. and then he, uh, we see Martin is watching as he leaves. Like yeah. Martin's in a car outside this warehouse, and then you get credits. <laughs> like, hey, by the way, um, I'm too horny to die, borny. Um, <laughs> I don't know what that means, but uh, so Stevie takes off, and Martin follows. Yeah. And he follows him to this kind of church, I guess. Of sorts. Where Stevie is listening to this dude preach in quotes about basically just magic. He's like, you gotta, and uh, not just magic, Duncan. Mm-hmm. Swastika magic. Yeah, well, I mean, it's a thing. I guess and he's like, why do you think the Germans used it? It's a powerful magic symbol. And you're, and he's like, you know, well, let's talk about people who walk in the light of the swastika, like Stevie here and his brother who comes in and, and whispers something to him and takes back off. Mm-hmm. And so we have this moment where it's like, okay, he's, uh, Stevie and his brother are, are rapists and, and, you know, like I have drugged this kid to fuck him. As well as some other heinous shit we haven't seen yet. Mm-hmm. Also, by the way, they traffic in Nazi symbol uh, symbology, so yep. that's not good. No. And at a certain point, you're just like, oh, these are the most villainous characters that this show has presented to us yet. Yeah, this is the bad folk, right? This is this is like when the. Like, see, when Martin teased the idea of, listen, I'm only interested in the bad people, and, like, Damien, like, gave him his list, uh, so to speak, or, like, said, oh, yeah, we can do that, and this is this is one of the ones he gives. Like, this is the one he just gives away, which makes me think that Damien's list might have some even worse people on it. You know what I mean? This is just your, yeah, this is your entry-level Damien scumbag. You know what I mean? And that's terrifying. <laughs> right. If this is like your B team of yeah. shitty people. 
But yeah, so eventually Stevie takes off and Martin gets back on the road and follows him again. And this time he follows him to a casino mm-hmm. where Martin is sitting in a slot machine watching Stevie chat with an older dude mm-hmm. who's asking like, hey, is the girl ready yet? And Stevie's like, hey, she's going to be ready in the morning. Um, do you have the money? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I got the money. And the, the, the part of the scene I like the most isn't just like, oh, they're clearly trafficking in, in ladies as well. It's that as Stevie makes this deal, the guy's like, hey, how's your brother doing? How how you guys been doing? He's like, you know what? I got to go. I'll talk to you later. And just like, hey, I'm doing business here. I don't need to chit chat with you, old man. You're a pervert. Yeah. Just let me sell you your new sex sleeve in peace. Right. I'm trying. I'm trying to run a business. Mm -hmm. Have a little respect for human trafficking. Why don't you? That's Jeffrey Epstein. Um, Yep. Yep. Oh, it's topical. So he leaves there and Martin again is following this time. You know, it's nighttime that we're following Stevie mm-hmm. and he trails him now to a bar where, yep. where we first see him sitting alone and there's a bartender on her phone kind of with her back to him. Meanwhile, Stevie's in a booth in, in a corner kind of grooming himself a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then Rob and a couple of girls named Sandy and, and Wendy stroll in to meet Stevie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, and Rob and Stevie are the brothers in question. And, and Rob ends up going to the bar, sidles up to the bar and orders a bunch of drinks for the table. And then he asks Martin to help him carry the drinks back to the table. Yeah. So like when, when this was happening, like, I mean, it makes sense later on, but when this is happening, I was like, that is he just trying to be a, dick here like like a, like a dickish move look what i can get this guy to do um and in a lot of respects he kind of is but he's setting up the this you, you get the feeling that they maybe do this quite a lot to vet people to see who they can use and who they can't use um but we know something they don't know and martin knows something that they don't know and um yeah it, it becomes very clear very quick because like he brings the drinks over and he just kind of stands there and they're like um can we help you now? And he's like, no, this is okay. So he goes back round. And then he just kind of stands staring at the bar. And then the bar woman's like, can I get you something? He's like, nope. So she pours him a drink on the house, by the way. Right. Well, she just got a giant tip from Rob who was like, hey, how's your kid? And blah, blah, yeah. blah. And gi- gives her a fat tip. And So yeah. she buys him a drink, which he kind of stares at in one of those classic wind and reference shots where he just kind of stares at a drink from a distance for a while and then sinks it because drink is no longer important Bo. <laughs> like this is him psyching himself up yeah. and I love that scene because some people look at that scene and be like that another classic just long scene with nothing happening no this is him psyching up for what he's about to do um, I think it works really well and then he walks back around and then Martin plays them at a little game by saying listen you know I'm, I'm new in town. I don't have any friends. It, like you're the only group in here. Is it? Is it? I mean, would it be okay if you know I just sat down with you? And um, you know, like Stevie's brother's like, yeah, but if you get a bottle for the table, and he's like, oh, awesome, yeah, cool. So he goes and gets the bottle, sits down with the bottle at the table, and then things get uncomfortable. Well, <laughs> yeah. So they start asking him, like, you know, hey, you know, what's your name? And he's like, I'm Kevin. And they're like, well, what are you doing here? And he says, well, not long ago, my girlfriend left me, and I just started driving. Yeah. 
and and it, you know it, the image he's kind of presenting is there's a little bit of truth to all this. There's a little bit of like John Hawks kind of philosophy in this. Yeah. Oh, does my heart good. And, uh, he says like, Hey, the world's going to shit anyway. So who cares? I'm not, I'm not going anywhere. There's no future. I I don't know what the fuck I'm going to do. And so what's the point? Yeah. And then he's like, well, what do you guys do? And they're like, well, we make, porn and stevie starts asking like well what kind of what kind of porn do you like Mm -hmm. and he's like i don't know i guess the usual stuff you know threesomes that kind of thing and (laughs) and then one of the girls is like i like fisting porn yeah (laughs) which i have spent my life avoiding yeah because it just doesn't sound pleasant there's nothing romantic about fisting and just the word sounds a bit not sexy it it sounds violent it sounds like a fist fight should be called fisting. Yeah. <laughs> but I guess you're just having a fist fight with someone's rectum, so that's not far from the case. But <laughs> tonight only, Jack Gallagher versus the rectum. Oh, no. Weighing in at 270 pounds, six foot of pure New York fury versus standing about four centimeters in height, with a distinct odor, a rectum. <laughs> ding, ding. <laughs> then Stevie starts asking Kevin, in quotes, like, hey, are you bi? Have you ever fucked a guy? Mm. And he says, yeah, I have. In middle school. And he was like, uh. So, like, in threesomes, is it you like two girls and one guy, two guys, one girl? And he's like, oh, I like two guys, one girl. And he's like, yeah, I like that too. I like it when you're fucking a girl and you can feel like the other person's <laughs> dick with just a little membrane separating you. And th- I mean, like this whole, like we are not amping this up. This is all, yeah. if anything, we're downplaying some of this. This is we're one of downplaying the, it. Yeah. It's one of like, the most graphic conversations I've ever heard on television. Yeah. As soon as he says it though, like Stevie turns around and his brother, like the fist pump. Oh, he's like, oh, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. And I'm like, oh, no. Yeah, you're like Eskimo Brothers, baby. Yeah, and you've explained that last week, so mm-hmm. I know what that is now. I know, it's like I'm, I'm like porn Tradamus or something. Porn Tradamus. I can see the porn of the future. In the year 2200, <laughs> it's all putting pancakes in vaginas. Nice. Mm-hmm. Send me there. Mm. <laughs> Pangina. They mm. call it the breakfast buffet. <laughs> no, I don't know. Don't know where it's going now. Let's bring it back. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, right. That's <laughs> offensive. And so then Stevie starts. So he, he's like, we make all kinds of porn. And he starts showing Martin uh, videos on his phone. He's like, what do you think about this? And Martin watches. Mm-hmm. And he's like, it's pretty nice. And he goes, okay. And then he pulls up another video. And you, we never see it. And he goes, well, what about this? And then Martin asks one of the most horrifying questions, which is, is that girl asleep? Yep. Ugh. Ugh, Duncan. <laughs> you know, because what the alternative is, is dead. Yeah. And Martin says, oh, I like what I see. Yeah. And then Wendy or Sandy, whichever she is, grabs his cock and was like, I don't know that you do. Yep. And at that point, Stevie says, look, here's what you ought to do, Kevin. 
you should get in your car, go home and apologize to your girlfriend. And he, and Martin says, well, I can't do that. Hey, I can't. And he <laughs> says, uh, how come? And he's like, well, cause she's 16. And I swear to God, Stevie's cock about rips these trousers. Right. The, the table like jumps off the ground a quarter inch. Kunk, kunk. He's like, <sighs> and, but, but he tells the story of how they met. So yeah, we get the story from how they met, but he gets the version that me and you, Bo, thought when we heard she was 16. And probably everyone else thinks when they hear that, but not how Martin sees it, I hope. Right, well, and that's the question is, how much of this is true? Like, because we know that there was an accident involving the mother and and Martin was the first cop on the scene. Mm -hmm. And the way he tells the story here is, by the end of the night, we were fucking on the hood of my car. And you hope that's not true. Yeah. But yeah, but I got a feeling it probably was. And on top of that, though, I got a feeling that. I don't know. I, 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 yeah, it's interesting you said that now because um, does, like, does Martin actually have any sort of moral compass? Like at all? Because he's already openly admitted he doesn't feel anything when he kills people. So. If that's the case, does he actually feel anything for the kind of taboo um, that might be for Super Mario sixteen year old? Does that even does that even cross his mind? You know what I mean as a character. So as a result of that, is he just playing it where you think society thinks of him doing that, or like you say, or is this actually? Are we getting a look at Martin here? I, yeah, I mean, that's, it's a fine question. I, I don't have the answer. My hunch is that <laughs> the way I, my belief structure uh, is set right now is that Martin is a pure sociopath. Yeah. And that knowing that John, John Hawk's character of Vigo was mm-hmm. like, is the same kind of person, but is using that sociopathy for good you know like being the dexter of this situation yeah i i think he looks at it as a path to morality perhaps or just that being amoral isn't beneficial to him mm-hmm. in some way i it, it's tough to say exactly but i don't i don't know that no i do not think that martin himself has a distinct moral compass i think he just wants one yeah uh, which is weird in a main character, but I, it's also one of the things I kind of like about it. Yep. Uh, if I had a heart, bull. If I only had a bar, a heart. <laughs> if I only had a bar, bar, a bar. Simpson. Uh, or the, uh, public, <laughs> the public transportation of San Francisco. <laughs> I could take it up to Canal Street. <laughs> down to Hate Ashbury. If I only had a Bart. Uh, so, uh, and then after he reveals this thing about, you know, Janie, even though he doesn't name her name, then Martin is like, you're my fucking hero. Yeah. And, and so Stevie goes to buy him a drink. Uh, he's like, ah, that's great. Martin, here, let's do this. And Rob has taken off. Like he had to, he had to go somewhere and do something. And yeah. we find out what he had to go and do was to hose down a, you know, somewhat 
emaciated girl in a tiled stall in this warehouse. Bathed in neon light. Oh, yeah, 100%. Every crevice of this room is bathed in neon light. (laughs) And he is... He, like, cuts the clothes off of her, and he's just got a garden hose and and is hosing her down, and she is completely compliant. She does not fight back when he's, like, turn around and spread your arms and all that stuff. Wordlessly does everything he asks. Mm -hmm. And then he starts choking her a little bit. Just a little. And then lets her go, and then he caresses her a little bit, and then he hoses hoses her down some more. Yeah. And then he he kind of picks lint or something off of her, like he's trying to make her perfect. Yeah, he's trying to make her like a... A mannequin, Duncan. A mannequin, because that's his creepy fish. Apparently so. Yeah. Anyway, so he then puts a chair inside this kind of tiled shower stall and has Mm -hmm. her sit in that, and, and this moment ends with him sitting down and starting to paint her toenails. Yeah. And again, like you said, that this is him dressing her up for his own particular kink. Yeah. Now, what's interesting about this particular room is we will see it later on. And at the far end of the room, there's almost like a stall area with a glass sliding door. And who's in there? Oh, little Billy. Little Billy's just watching the whole thing. Weird. That's what I would say, Bo. I think little Billy is kind of security. I think I don't I, think he's... I think little Billy is hilarious, and we'll find out later on why. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so then we cut away from this creep fest to yep. uh, Martin and Stevie and and one of the girls, Wendy or Sandy, whichever, uh, playing pool. Mm-hmm. And this is the point where the the trap is laid for Martin. Where yes, Stevie says, "Hey, what are you doing later? You want to be in a scene?" And Martin's playing a little coy. He's like, "What do you mean?" And he's like, "You know." a scene, one of uh, some porn. And uh, Martin's like, oh, I don't know. I don't want anyone to see my face. And, uh, <laughs> Hey, I got a lot going on, man. I can't, <laughs> I can't be putting this, the face on porn. Well, you know what like, made me genuinely burst out laughing though? And I shouldn't have laughed at this, but at all was, I think maybe two episodes ago, we speculated that it would not be past Nicholas Windham Reffin to have his hero. In this case, Miles Taylor get his dick out. Right, and I was like, that if the, if if he gets his dick out in this episode, there, then all yes. bets are fucking off. There is a point where I I was about eighty percent sure that's what was going to happen. I know exactly the scene you're on about. <laughs> so, um, Stevie is like, "Hey, nobody's going to see your face, man. We can shoot this any way you want." And he was like, "Better yet, you can do anything you want." Mm-hmm. And he's like, all right, but I'm going to wear a mask. And he's like, yeah, whatever the fuck you, you're into, man. Like, that's what we're here for. Like, as long as I can film this, then we're mm-hmm. fine. And so we truck back to the warehouse where Stevie is like, hey, I'm going to go get Rob. And you hang tight with our lady friend here. Yeah. And so Stevie goes to get Rob and he's like, hey, little brother. And. Rob says, hey, little brother. It's like, Uh, Like, this is all gross. Yeah. And Rob is finishing up his work on his human mannequin. Yeah, he's not very good at the makeup. It's just very severe, you know? But it it makes her look less real. Oh, yeah, she looks plastic. Yes. 
And like kind of reminded me a little bit of remember American Mary. Yes, 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 There's yes. A, a little bit of that going on. There, there certainly is. I mean, it's kind of the the super colorful cheeks and very specific lipstick and pale skin and like she looks like you said she looks plastic and cv is like hey i got that kid here let you want to go get some fucking going on and um <laughs> he says something like along the lines of uh, like my new star or my you know our, yeah our new star i think is the way he puts it and rob yeah. looks at it, the girl that he's been working with and he just says don't fucking move yeah. <laughs> and this is where we see little Billy has been watching the entire time. Mm-hmm. And Rob looks uh looks him over and he's like, Hey, I'm gonna grab little Billy so we can shoot his Johnson. <laughs> Which is funny. <laughs> and th- so Stevie Dicks goes have <laughs> weird names for Dex, man, honestly. John yeah. Uh, there's a whole line of t shirts that are, you know, Big Johnson, whatever. That you can buy at any beach community here in the United States. Johnson's like a proper Scottish surname. It's it, it, you run into plenty of Johnsons here as well. I'm sure Both you ways, Duncan. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Hi oh. Hey oh <laughs> Um <laughs> I love wordplay. Hey, it's the devil again. I am sorry. Yeah. Yeah, we need that for this episode. Otherwise, it's fucking grim. Yeah. Oh, it's uh, oh, it's about to get so shitty. So he he tells Stevie like, "Hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna need to see your cock." Yeah, which I will be honest, I've only ever had to utter those words four times. I need to see your cock. Yeah. Uh you know, I'm older, but I I would say it's a solid seventeen. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah, just, double digits. Well, you know, I look, I hit double digits before I was out of my twenties. <laughs> It, it slowed way down after that. Uh, it was more just curiosity, like, "Hey, how you doing? My name's Bo. I'm gonna need to see your cock." <laughs> <laughs> that was Eric Stratton, Rush Chairman. He needs to see your cock. Oh yeah, and uh. and so the girl starts to unbuckle Martin's belt. Yeah, and this is the point. I think both of us were like, we're about to see Miles Teller's I Johnson. Legitimately, that his dick is coming out. Right, I'm gonna get a bird's eye view of the old one-eyed Willie. Yep, a, a, a tasteful neon drink shot. Right, and uh, I mean, we'll get to more cock talk in the next episode. But as soon as the lady starts pulling his dick out, Martin removes his gun. Oh, this is amazing! And he shoots Stevie. Through the mouth. Yeah. And blows the back of his head off. Mm-hmm. Then shoots the lady. Yep. And then goes on the hunt for, for Rob. Now, what I love about this is this happens and, like, obviously they've heard the gunshots. And, like, Stevie's brother's so much of a dick. He ain't checking on Stevie. He's going out hiding. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, straight away, he's like, yeah. fuck this. So, he disappears. Little Billy's not there. Martin starts searching for him through the building. There's a couple of kind of false setups where you think that maybe they might be in a certain room or whatnot. And Martin's like, well, you know, I'm getting the fuck out of here for now. Or is he thinking, which is more plausible, right, it's time to change tact here. I'm being the aggressor right now. It's time to pretend to retreat. So he runs to his car. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, earlier on, we had a very, very funny story about um, <laughs> Rob's... Uh, 
different car. It's at the bar where um, the bar made asked him about his strange car and he talks about it being electric. And um, the car that Martin bought at, at the end of episode four, he's like, he's hightailing it out of there in this car. And uh, little Billy and uh, Rob come running down, they jump into the electric car and give chase bow. And I'm like, that, that is exactly what this episode needs. And he's a goddamn fucking car chase in the desert. <laughs> right, that goes on for about a day and a half. Yeah, it's brilliant though. I, actually, once again, like I forget that Wind and Refn can do these sorts of shots. I forgot that Wind and Refn directed Drive. Man, so my favorite moment of the episode is coming up. Mm-hmm. Where, so, you know, Rob and Little Billy pop off a couple of shots at Martin. Martin uh, takes off and they jump in the electric car. They're on the way. <laughs> Messi's with a shotgun twice yes. at close range. And there's a point. There's a point later after Little Billy takes a couple more shots at him where Rob's like, how the fuck did you miss him with a shotgun? Yeah. And he's like, I don't know, man. <laughs> That's literally like, I don't know. Yeah. Well, the worst henchman ever. Your head is security. He's pesh. Right. I, I got no answers, man. I, I had a hair appointment later. My mind was on that. <laughs> and so as they're, as they're going after Martin, Rob turns on the radio. And find some classic ref and synth wave. Oh, yeah. Pims in. And I'm like that. This is not appropriate. Right. And you and Little Billy on, are on the same page. Because Little Billy flips it over to another song. And Rob's like, it's kind of some easy listening stuff. Yeah. And he's like, ah, oh, fuck that. And so Rob turns it back. And? And then. This is the greatest fucking thing. It, you're not wrong. This is the best part of the episode. Ever like this is once again like he gives us it in almost every episode he just gives us like he gives me one scene that justifies the entire hour and a half yes and I mean like the whole thing is I wouldn't uh-huh. I mean enjoyable uh-huh. I mean it's it's engaging and I'm yeah. I, I'm really into it it's crafted yes I was I would just crafted to a high level even if the subject matter is you know, horribly uncomfortable to watch. There is no doubt in my mind, as it's all unfolding here, you're seeing an auteur at work. Right. But then, <laughs> Rob takes takes the radio <sighs> knob in hand, and they, they find a compromise, Duncan. Yep. And it's the song Mandy by yep. Barry Manilow. Oh, Mandy. Well, you, you came and you gave without taking... And I need you to stay, oh Mandy. Or it should be all my life. Anyway, <laughs> it should be oh Andy when you swallowed that pill and signed that contract, <laughs> and then those men came to rape you, oh Andy. That's what it should be, but it's not so Mandy. <laughs> yeah, oh, Mandy's different song, and the juxtaposition. <laughs> of now this- you know all about all that fisting. And you'll never sit down that way. Um, <laughs> that's, that's how that song goes. Uh, the, <laughs> you, you juxtapose this this song of loss against the backdrop of Rob, who has lost his fucking vile brother as they chase down his murderer and the sad sims of Barry Manilow plays to this like beautiful like. Like it's nighttime shots that are are now breaking into to dawn uh, as the sun starts to rise over these like sand dunes in the city, and it's just like this. Du- 
this works so well, but sh- none of this should work. Well, none of it should work. And it's profile pictures of all our three chase members yep. over this landscape one by one. Like, you know, oh, here's little Billy over some mountains as Mandy plays. And here's, here's Martin against the cars. And it's just like, this is bananas yeah, in a way is, that I really love. This is vintage fucking reffing. And I love everything I'm seeing here. I love it so much. And I'm with you. Like this is happening, and I'm like, this is so delightfully bizarre. And I think that's yes. the best way I can describe it. It's look for me. Here, here is one of my things that uh, I, I, I've said probably on this show any number of times. Mm-hmm. There, there are two ways to win my heart: do something I've seen before better than I've ever seen it done, or show me something I've never seen. Yeah, And you get points for either of those things. In this case, it combines them where it's like, hey, here's a really well done car chase scene combined with this crazy ass video for Mandy. Yeah. And it is a pure delight. This is what I love. And then (laughs) the sun comes up as the song ends. (laughs) And now let's get back to our our chase. And this is where little Billy lays into Martin's car with the shotgun. Yeah, missing them every single time. Right. But in fairness, Martin also takes aim. Like, he does this move where he pulls beside him and hits the brake, so he, he pulls alongside their car. Yeah, I, this is the thing, though. Is Martin playing with them when we know how the rest of this plays out? I, You know, I don't think so. I think if he could kill them here, it would be fine. Or if he kills them in the desert when there's, le- well, further in the desert where there's less witnesses. Maybe, but there's nobody, like, they've been there's shooting. There's no one around you, right? Yeah. So, I don't know. I'm Like, I'm of the mind that Martin just missed. Yeah. And then there's a fortuitous bit of, of action here. Like, they're, they're trading a little bit of paint, and Martin, like, sends their car spinning, and he keeps trucking, but they get back on the road, and as they're pursuing then the car just dies <laughs> yeah the electric car runs that just and there's been that that contrast like when you do shots of martin you hear the of the yeah. engine and then you cut to robin little billy and it's just Ooh. yeah <laughs> <laughs> like the, the the slow hums of a small microwave yeah yeah exactly and when it dies Rob <laughs> just goes fucking piece of electric shit. <laughs> it's the fact that like it's like he, he basically says to little Billy's like that, right? You get up there because like Martin's tire goes yes weirdly and like just so happens to go just as they are in front, which makes me think deliberate. I think he shoots his tire. I don't think we necessarily see it, but I think he might shoot his tire. And all of a sudden, he stops as a way to. So, <laughs> little Billy gets, like, he's sitting there, like, Rod's having to go up, and he's like, that, right, I want you to get up there and fucking kill me. He's like, that, I can't. I've, I'm, I'm out of shotgun shells. And he's like, what do you mean you are out of shotgun shells? So he's like, well, I've had we taken Stevie's car instead of this form piece of shit. And right. then we we this, wouldn't like, be in this situation in the first place if we'd taken the fucking American car instead of this. And I'm 
laughing so much at this, Crystal. Like, the, the gravity of the situation hasn't really sunk in yet. Uh, it's about to sink in, like little Billy's face when a vehicle impacts the car they're in. This is fucking awesome. Yeah. So it really, really is. Martin goes full into reverse and comes plowing back. Yeah, he's like, I call this the Hooper. <laughs> and. <laughs> <laughs> a little Burt Reynolds reference for you. And you but yeah, lay, like hits reverse, lays on the pedal, slams ass first into the in into this electric car. But do you think Stevie would appreciate? You Stevie. I mean got the humor. Yes. It, probably so, but you know yeah. Stevie's brain is about three feet behind his skull right now, so Yeah. Stevie's uh, just sad that he wasn't able to see another banana on a tailpipe. Banana on a tailpipe. Oh, the old banana in the tailpipe routine. Yep. <laughs> so, he, so he slams into the car, which fucks up the car as well as the passengers. Well, little Billy's dead. Yeah, like, but hey, let's be sure here. Yeah, let's 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 do what they should do in every fucking horror movie, bro. Yeah, and so Martin sees little Billy hanging bloody out the side of the passenger window, mm-hmm. and just puts one in his fucking head. Hashtag double tap. Oh, man. And boy, is Martin a fan of the double tap. He really is. So then he goes around the car. Martin does. And he's like, he finds Rob crawling away. Mm-hmm. And then Rob like turns over and sees Martin, you know, pointing the gun at him. And Rob goes, not dead. And Martin's like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> and he says, she's not dead yet, but she will be. Yeah. And he's like, what? And he's like, oh, you're not here for the girl? Yeah, and I'm like, the girl? And then all of a sudden, memory flashes back to the conversation and the casino. Right, and <laughs> so Martin's like, you're going to take me to her. Like, <laughs> now that you brought it up, I kind of want to get to the bottom of this. I'm a detective after all. He's like, you're not here for the girl? And he's like, but I am. As his eyes roll and he said, yes. Yeah. I'm totally here for the girl. All along. What did you think it was about? Damien, you're fucking stupid. <laughs> and then, so then he tells her, like, hey, you're going to take me to this girl that you're, you're talking about, and you're going to come along for the ride. Mm-hmm. And so they drive out into the middle of the desert. Yep. And Rob uh, cuffs himself. It's clear that he was cuffed inside the car, and he cuffs himself again, tosses Martin the, the key. And Martin the whole time is just holding the gun like, hey, you step out of line, I'm going to fucking put you down like a dog. Mm-hmm. And Rob leads him to this metal pipe sticking out of the ground. Yeah, it kind of looks like if you've seen the old, uh, like an old cabin or something, this would be like a stovepipe. Right. And there's like a shitty trailer in the background that they never go into or anything. But the only thing out there is like this meth trailer and this pipe sticking out of the ground. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> so... Martin is like, well, get her out. And he's like, he's like, well, I need a shuffle or something. He's like, you're shit out of luck, pal. How about this? And he just points the gun at him and, you know, pulls back the hammer. He's like, fine, fine. I'll fucking dig her out with my hands. He's like, he's like, this would be a lot quicker if I had a shovel. And Martin laughs and goes, (laughs) Rob, you're in a Nicholas Winden reffing movie. This will take as long as it takes. <laughs> right. And so in real time, we see him. No. Um, <laughs> so he starts digging her out. And finally, Martin has uh, at least a little bit of a change of heart where he's like, all right, here's the keys. So you can uncuff yourself, but you're not getting a shovel. 
And so Rob is, is digging with his hands. And then we fast forward a little bit in time where Rob has uncovered this wooden box. Yeah. And, and so clearly they just buried somebody out in the middle of the desert. And when Martin is like, what the fuck is this all about? And Rob says, you wouldn't understand. Yeah. <laughs> it's not what it looks like. Right. <laughs> Try me. Um, <laughs> yeah. It, and we never get an, ex- an explanation beyond that. So it's just uh, whatever is going on is whatever is going on. Yeah, well, they open the box and Pinhead's in there doing his jokes for his nightly stand-up routine at the casino. <laughs> yeah. What do you call one Cenobite in a coffin in the desert? A hot box. How many Cenobites does it take to screw in a light bulb? None. None. <laughs> Hell has no light bulb, you see. Ha. I'm a funny man. We are the furthest from light that you can get. Uh, <laughs> inside the, they uh, they open up and there's this poor girl inside who is dressed very similarly uh to the girl that they left in uh the warehouse the mannequin oh, yeah. girl mm-hmm. and she is just shaking and sobbing she's not having a good time and not only is she not having a good time rob decides to get one last little bit of head fuckery in there and he's like that you need to come out here you need to be here he'll cut you <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's speaking in Spanish, uh, like, mm-hmm. "Hey, this this motherfucker's crazy. If you don't do what he says, he's gonna shoot you." Yeah. And <laughs> so Rob pulls a knife, and as if to stab Martin, but Martin just immediately shoots him, and then makes sure he's down by shooting him in the head. Yeah. Hashtag double tap. Hashtag double tap. And so Martin like squats down at the edge of, of this hole mm-hmm. and is like, Hey, I'm not going to hurt you. Just come on out, lady. It's going to be fine. And she grabs Rob's knife and just stabs Martin in the fucking side with it. Oh yeah. It's the, yeah. Get some right. And like, he goes down like a ton of bricks. Yeah. Like and it stabs him in his left side. And then she takes off running like the dog from funny farm <laughs> where, as Martin just lies by the side of this hole, like, holy shit, lady, you stabbed me. I can't believe she stabbed me, Larry. We see this lady running off into the distance for an extended shot. Yeah, love that shot. And then we see some, like, colored, out-of-focus lights. And end of episode. Yeah, now I don't know if that the... Uh, focus lights are an indication that maybe um, Martin's went back to have a word with the guy at the casino. Uh, maybe it's a weird shot to end on. It, it really is. It's it's really mysterious. And for all the graphic nature of this episode, mm. narratively, it's very straightforward. It is. Oh God, yeah. Martin shows up. He pretends to be. Out for an out of tone, uh, an out of towner to get invited to the psycho porn lair, and then he murders everybody. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but once again, that to me is the gift that is Nicholas Winden Refn, and I, I think that's the gift that people are missing as he takes what is essentially kind of rudimentary and well told story, well told stories, and gives it this like hyper violent and hyper stylish execution over the top of it and then you know 
and makes it look like every shot looks like like an obscene amount of money was spent crafting it. And then he just he delivers it, and you like I I I sit and watch, and I'm like, this is this is great. It's fucking great. It's uncomfortable. I've never seen anything like this on TV before. Yeah, and it's probably worth noting. I didn't mention it in the upfront. The title of this episode, because as you pointed out, uh, what last episode? Yeah, that all of these are named after tarot cards, which they out and out say in the next episode, pretty yes. much. But in this one, this is titled The Fool. Yeah. Which I uh, certainly believe indicates Martin. I think Martin is is going to find that, you know, his his dumb plans are going to continue to go awry. Yeah, yeah. I think so. I think, yeah, I think there is a, there, there are issues with his involvement in these, these things. And I think he hasn't quite understood yet that he might just, like, ultimately he's getting played. Everyone's playing them. Yeah. Like, yeah. everyone is playing them. Like, the police are playing them to an extent, you know, trying to mold them into a useful idiot. Uh, Damien's certainly got his useful, useful idiot because um, Martin had an out. Martin could have left. And, no, he's still, regardless, he's still performing contract kills for Damien. So he didn't get his out on that one. And I think on some level, and we'll find more about it, but I think we're going to find... That um, that Hawk and partner are kind of doing the same thing. So really, he's become this useful idiot in a lot of respects to three different factions that I'm really looking because he's juggling them all at the moment. And that's not even before we get into. I mean, who's who's the master? Who's the mastermind and manipulator in the relationship? You know, yeah, his I mean, relationship with Janie, you know what I mean? She is hyper-intelligent, he is not. Right, yeah, I mean, he's he's being kind of tugged along by all these characters to some yeah. degree, um, and I think that we're going to find that, you know, Gina Malone's character is probably going to be the, the the true puppet master of all this, because there, there is some question in my mind of how much how much is she playing Vigo? Oh, you know? God, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there's, there's manipulation in there as well. You know, I think... I'd like to think that there's some genuine concern and genuine feeling like, you know, we saw with the scene at the um, dialysis clinic, mm-hmm. but maybe not. Maybe that's all a front just to make sure that Vigo believes that she cares about him because, you know, what's important, you know, is that he feels a loyalty to her um, just as in theory, Martin may someday feel a loyalty to her. You know, like she said, like this, Martin is somebody that we can use. He's dangerous, but we can use him. Yeah. And, oh man. All right. Um, all right. Uh, any other, any parting thoughts on, on this episode of, uh, utter filth and depravity? Yeah. This is Nicholas Winden ref and officially closing out the first half of this TV season. <laughs> Right, yeah. It's certainly, we have set things in motion, and I I feel like the next episode is the one where it's like, okay, all this is starting to come together now. Yeah. Because uh, we start, in fact, we get a little crossover where we've we've sort of had two distinct storylines. There's the Jesus storyline, and there's the Martin storyline, and never the twain shall meet. And we, we get, in this episode, the first whiff of what that conflict may look like. Yeah. And... Mm. Mm. Yeah, and when you're thinking right this show business is picked up and look how violent it's getting and where will Martin go next 
Nicholas Linder reference like, ah, 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 let me introduce you to my next episode, which is called The High Priestess. And at that point, I'm fairly sure Bo was like, yes! Yeah, say no more. This is about Yaritza, and I'm I'm down. Like, yep. whatever whatever we want to do from here, I'm in. Yaritza is like my Roxanne. I'm like, Yaritza! You don't have to put on a red light! You don't have to put on your eye jacket! <laughs> uh, <laughs> so in tune tonight. <laughs> so as you mentioned this this episode uh episode six of uh too hot to die cold <laughs> oh, God. Is, is entitled the high priestess and we open fittingly on jesus and uh said high priestess uh yaritza in the desert, both dressed in red and looking pretty hot. Yep. While Miguel and a bunch of his men, also in cowboy hats, look on. Miguel gives a little speech about how uh, they're married now. Like, uh, mm-hmm. Jesus and, and Yaritza have married. And Miguel tells uh, Jesus it's time for him to return home and reclaim his mother's empire to which I say, right the fuck on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because he basically says that since her death, uh, people have been moving in on her turf and just kind of running amok. And now is the time to bring it back to the fold. Yeah, and he says that they are going to become more powerful than Don Ricardo, Miguel's father, could have ever imagined. Yeah. Which yeah. is... Terrifying. Yes. <laughs> that that is probably not how things are going to work out. So then we meet uh, our our hero of the episode, a guy named Alfonso, <laughs> who is uh, goes into a tire place. You know, one of, the, one of those used tire places. You you guys have those in Scotland? Yeah, the uh, part worn tires. Yeah, yeah, and part worn tires. That's much better than used tires. I know. <laughs> I don't want to be pretty, like when I do this usually on this show. That's where I usually get oh trash bin or rubbish bucket or whatever it is. I don't know. You mean uh, no trash can? I stand behind. It is a can with trash in it. It's rubbish bin. Look, nobody here says rubbish. First of all, Why and nobody not? uses the phrase or the word bin either. So it's two words that nobody here uses, and yeah, it's two, never going to two words. Up. Americans tried to replace with words which are lesser versions of the original. It trash can. It is exactly what it says it is. Anyway. Let's not relitigate this. It, it's like garbage truck. It is a every, truck that carries garbage. That's all you need. Every fucking season, man. Let's let's let let it die. I refuse to. This is a, the hill I will die on. Um uh, anyway, so at at the <laughs> at the gently used tire location. Yes. Um Alfonso is asking a guy like, "Hey, you want to kill somebody?" And he's like, "Well, who?" And he shows him a picture of Damien. Yes. And he and he says, "I need you to do this by Sunday." And he's like, "Why the fuck does it have to be done by Sunday?" And Alfonso says, "This is uh the basically Jesus is returning Magdalena's son. Yeah. The King is coming home. Yes. He, the, the King returneth and, yeah. uh, that Jesus wants to send a message and the guy's like, well, you know, this is a high profile guy. You want it done on the quick. 
I'm not going to do it for the $5,000 you're offering me, but I will do it for 10000 Mm-hmm. And then they kind of barter for a second, and they land on six, which just proves Alfonso is the better uh, uh, <laughs> the better deal maker in this situation. Mm-hmm. And so then he also it's all the money he had on him. So Alfonso yeah. then counts out all this money, and is like, "Here you go. Now, now go kill Damien." Then we find Damien speaking of playing real life fruit ninja with an actual <laughs> machete. While like Celestino and his and his boys look on, mm-hmm. and our our assassin, a guy named Devante, he's the the guy from the Tire Shop, is watching from across the street in his car because every character in this movie at some point sits in a car and watches other people. Yeah. Also, it's worth noting completely inconspicuous large Humvee vehicle. <laughs> yeah. Well, when he finally gets you know his eye full and takes off. Like everybody clocks this SUV and it, like hands are on guns around mm-hmm. Damien. Like, you know, security is tight. And, but Devante just keeps rolling. Yeah. They see me rolling. They hating. <laughs> oh, Duncan. <laughs> what? Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> uh, can we get, can we get onto the fact that fucking Morgan Fairchild's in this episode? We're, we're and my mind it. was almost blown. I was like, holy fucking shit. Is she, one, is she still alive? Yes. And two, that's not her real hair. And she is completely uncredited, by the way, in this episode, which is even better. Is she? Yeah. Oh, yeah. If you look on an IMDb, there is no character name or nothing. It's just like, hey, she's in this. Anyway. Fucking hell. So, but we, first we got to get through the layers of assassins here because, so Devante is the guy from the tire shop. He then goes to a guy named Jaime, and Jaime. Uh, it outsources, uh, or uh, like Devante is outsourcing to him and he's like, I'm going to give you $2,000 to, to, uh, kill this dude. And I'm going to give you half up front. And he gives the money to him in twenties, unlike Alfonso's hundreds. Yep. And, and so then we see, uh, Jaime watching the same corner. And like getting the, getting the the scope of things, so he takes the picture of uh, notably it is Damien, and then there and Celestino is in the picture as well. Yeah. So after Jaime sees what's going down on uh, the corner where you know this ice rink is that all the dudes hang out at, he goes to a dude named Game Boy, <laughs> who is a tweaker. Yeah. And Game Boy uh, doesn't really care about the money so much as crystal meth. You know, crystal meth, Duncan. Yeah. Gank. Yeah. Yayo. Clean yeah. burning propane. Yay! And and he's going to give Game Boy $200 for the assassination. Yeah, this is... This is Bo, I don't know if you understand this, but this is how capitalism works. Yeah, this is, they're in the business of doing business, so let's do some business. <laughs> and and so Jaime is like, hey, you got to do this by Sunday. And he's like, why, the hell, why do I have to do it by Sunday? He's like, don't worry about it. Just do it Saturday night. He's like, fine, fine. I'll do it tomorrow night. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll murder a man tomorrow night. So he then outsources it to a small Chinese child who's making Nike shoes. Right. And who's going to do it for $12? <laughs> Yep. Uh, no, so Game Boy has a lady friend mm-hmm. who shows up and gives him some shit about not buying beer as he is crushing up it, it, crystal meth because she steals his pipe so she can get all tweaked out too. <laughs> 
And but my favorite part of this moment is when uh, a police car goes by and Game Boy gets real paranoid about it for a second. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, he is he is a mess. He is not going to handle this well. Yeah, he is not a reliable assassin. So, speaking of unreliable, he tears the picture he was given in half so he can snort the crystal meth. And he uses the Damien half of that picture to to do the snorting. And, yeah, this might lead to confusion, but <laughs> Right, so... Now that he's all good and, you know, has a head full of crystal meth like you want to do when you got a real important job to do, he then goes off to do his dark business. And, you know, good for him, I suppose, in getting up for the occasion. Mm-hmm. And then, Duncan, we cut to Damien and his boys doing this weird fucking dance. Um, as they're singing along, they're just kind of doing this shuffle dance. It's almost like if zombies knew disco. Yeah, like the 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 first run with the bad dancers from the thriller music video. Yeah, it's, like they upgraded for better ones right after it. Yeah, it's really weird, but I also kind of dig it. Mm-hmm. And then Game Boy is on a motorcycle watching from across the street, and he looks at the picture that he's got, which isn't of Damien. It's of Celestino. Of course, it is. And who is not currently outside doing this crazy thriller dance. But then he comes out of the, the rink, the ice skating rink, and and Game Boy checks the picture, and it's like, mm-hmm, that's him. Grabs his Uzi, pulls out, rolls up to Celestino, and then just lights him up with this Uzi. Yeah. And then, Duncan, he gets away scot-free, and Game Boy lives happily ever after. Yeah, he with his last remaining $10, he buys a scratch card, which gives him $5 million. Well, he decides to clean his act up, gets married to a spiritual healer, and they move up into the Rockies, and they start a wildlife sanctuary for bruised and battered birds. Um, where they still live now happily ever after. Yeah, it's a very touching story if any of that actually happened. Mm-hmm. Instead, what happens is Damien sees his, you know, his right-hand man get shot and then whips out a pair of pistols like mm-hmm. fucking Tomb Raider <laughs> and fires at Game Boy, who gets shot and falls off his motorcycle dead. Yeah, he's not doing well. Right. So now, Duncan... It's time to cut to my wife, Morgan Fairchild. (laughs) Who's still alive. Right. Who surprised me by both being in the movie and, uh, or being in the show and, uh, still alive. Yeah. Dear God. Yeah. And (laughs) so she is sneaking into Magdalena's house. We learn she's being nosy. I mean, I, I mean, at least it didn't typecast her. (laughs) <laughs> right she she is sneaking into uh this in fairness the doors were wide open yeah america eh? but <laughs> but yuritza and and jesus are in the house and we see them both sleeping not together they're not in the same rooms they're but they're sleeping and morgan fairchild is creeping around like hello and then yuritza apparently has heard this and gets dressed and goes down to to greet her yeah, meanwhile, she's uh, remarking on Magdalena's shoes in the picture, and she's going, God, great shoes. That Yeah, that's one of my favorite things. Like, yeah, it, it is just, 
like pure envy. Yeah, but also this house is like a fucking weird monument to Magdalena. Her pictures, are, her portraits are fucking everywhere. Yes, yes. It is a, a house-sized shrine yeah. to Jesus' mother. And anyway, so when Morgan Fairchild sees Yuritsa, uh, she's like, hey, um, I, I'm just looking around. Do you understand English? And Yuritsa does not speak. Like, she speaks English, but she's just keeping quiet. She's just keeping yeah. her mouth zipped. And she's like, and Morgan Fairchild is like, do you understand me? Is your employer here? <laughs> and then Jesus comes down the stairs and is like, hey, Mrs. Fairchild, what are you doing here? <laughs> and, and she's like, um, I was, I was, you know, I, I didn't realize you were here. Are you, are you taking over the house? And, and he's like, yeah, I'm taking over mom's business. And she's like, that's so great. Um, is I was talking to your maid. I, th- I think, and he's like, that's not my maid, that's my wife. And she's like, oh, I'm sorry, I was just confused and didn't mean to be overtly racist. Mm-hmm. But, you know, sometimes that's how it happens. Yeah. Hashtag white privilege. Yeah, right. And, I mean, we wouldn't know anything about that in the U.S. We have solved oh, all our racial problems. Yeah, none. In fact, th- you solved them so well that, you know, I don't even understand the term right because there's no color yeah we do not see color at all uh and certainly no one is being told to go back to their country no no that would never happen no that would be a horribly racist thing to say to people who were in fact american citizens yeah yeah also also you'd be a bit silly for saying it yes uh, any number of reasons that's a bad idea yeah but uh like i said certainly doesn't happen here Anyway, so then we go back to Yuritsa and Jesus, where Jesus is like, hey, you're supposed to blend in. You can't just be scaring the neighbors like that. And Yuritsa is like, hey, I'm going to go take a shower. We need to be be moving in 20 minutes. Mm. And so then we kind of, we get a couple of shots of them kind of getting ready for this, including Jesus shaving his legs, weirdly. Is it? I mean, isn't it? I don't know. I've, it's not something I, I do a lot. Yeah, but I've I've got a very strong inclination that maybe Jesus isn't your average cartel boss. Maybe. I mean, yes, we are certainly going to get some of that. But yeah, I think it starts here with the shaving of the legs. So yeah, yeah, I suppose so. And. Um, but there's also kind of a pretty boy element to it. Like I think weightlifters and stuff do that. Yeah. Well, swimmers do. Swimmers yeah. Particularly do it. But the, the way he's doing it and the area we see him doing it and like it's right at the back of the thigh and it's, he's the way his legs even placed it. You would see this generally in a movie being done by a woman. Yes. This particular arc of the leg. In fact, it took me a good couple of seconds to realize that the you know that this was a man's leg because at first it very much looked like a woman's leg. Yes, I thought it was you know Yuritsa at first, and then it was like, oh no, that's Jesus. Okay, fair enough. Um, mm-hmm. So while he's doing that, like Magdalene's picture is literally looking over his shoulder. Oh, the whole time. Yeah, creepy. And so you know he's checking himself, checking moles and shit. And then he goes to uh, Magdalena's room, which is, you know, I guess very tellingly Yuritsa's room. And he uh, sees this dress that his mother wore, this red dress. 
and he has a flashback of his mom squirming on the bed in said dress. Yeah, his, his flashbacks and dreams are a bit weird. Well, are they, Duncan? Are they? Uh, uh, I never had that whole, what was it, Epitus thing yeah. at all. Yeah, like that, that didn't hit me. I know it has hit other people, did not hit me. Although in saying that, Magdalena is fine certainly and everyone mm. mentions it and and all and everyone gets away with talking about jesus's mother without a problem yeah they're all like they're all like uh and that's in scary movie you know where they're talking about cindy's mom and they're yeah. like wasn't she the one that did that oh yeah she did that oh that's right well yeah remember that time she did that oh yeah that's what they're all like every time this year yes and and jesus loves it yeah <laughs> but all right so while while Jesus is, is kind of checking out this dress that's laying on the bed, we see Yuritza is hanging out in her underwear in this big walk-in closet. And so he takes this, you know, dress slash skirt and like wraps it around Yuritza mm-hmm. and says, this was my mother's favorite skirt. And when, once he puts it on her, he says, now you look like the lady of the house, which is in no way creepy. Yeah. Now you look like the lady of the house. Like my mother. Right. Let's do it. Right. But they don't. Like, there, there's a thing in this movie where it's like, oh, when are the, these two going to get around to fucking? Yeah, because, it, like, ah, uh, yeah. Because there is a bit of a, well, is this, a, is this a marriage or is this a marriage of convenience? Right. And it's it seems to be at least initially a marriage of convenience, but I think Yuritsa, we'll get to it, but I, I think she sees benefit mm-hmm. to it to this yes, arrangement for sure. And anyway, so once they're all dressed up and ready to go, they take a uh, Magdalena sports car from the garage and they go to get some guns from Alfonso mm-hmm. and Alfonso immediately starts giving Jesus shit. Yeah. It's not a wise thing to do as well, because the last time we saw Jesus properly in an episode, he was executing a whole row policeman. Right, well, and I don't know if Alfonso doesn't know that or just doesn't care. Mm-hmm. Because he's like, hey, you know, I know you said you want a gun, but you probably want like a little twenty two or something that you can put in your purse. Mm-hmm. And Jesus is like, look, motherfucker, I killed a cop, so I'm fine with a pistol. He And then Alfonso is like, you know, uh, or Jesus is like, hey, you know, this is Alfonso. He worked with my mother. And Alfonso is like, buh, 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 buh. I worked with your mother mm-hmm. not for her then he's like hey by the way that guy damien i'm personally taking care of that you you ain't got to worry about nothing alfonso is on the case you ain't gotta ain't gotta sweat that jesus <laughs> damien's as good as fucking dead which of course <laughs> we know is totally fucked up mm-hmm. and then we get to the point that i care about duncan which is yaritza asks for a custom gun which is like she's got this pearl handled pistol. Yeah, she's wanting some work done on it, and it's a specific design that she has in mind. Bo- Enlighten our listeners, the ones that may be just listening but not watching the show, what that might be. Well, she wants this pearl handled pistol. She wants it diamond studded. Mm-hmm. You know, for pretty because she's like I like pretty things. Yeah, obvs. Um, and then on the inside of the grip, 
she gives this craftsman, not Alfonso, but the guy who works for Alfonso, a a tarot card of the hanged man. Yes, the the hanged man is a tarot card. A tarot card like all the episode names. And also, she is the high priestess, which is also a tarot card. Yeah. Like all the names of the episodes. And I'm like, Nicholas, when they're repping, you ain't just giving a fuck now. You're just like, this is my plan. Yeah. I, <laughs> do you Look see? Look at it! Do you see? <laughs> <laughs> what it, What oh. is my design? Do you see? Um, do you see? So, do you see? Uh, yeah. Then, after she gives all these details to, to this craftsman, Alfonso is like, <laughs> you want gold-plated bullets, too? And, and this it, is the greatest combat line in the history of combat lines in the history of cinema. Fuck. Yaritza is like, I'm keeping the gun, not the bullets. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And I'm like, at last, my love has come along. Man, she is. Oh, she is so cool. I Did just like I, I, I could never date somebody like this because I'm not nearly cool enough. No, I'd be terrified. Right, like she would just murder me for being a little, yeah. a little yeah. punk. Yeah, but, I'd, I'd be terrified that I would at one like at one point she'd say, "Does my bum look big in this?" And I'd be like, "No, yes." I mean, not like that. And she'd rip my dick off and make me eat. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, worried. Oh, she's so. Oh my god. Anyway, mm. after they do that, they uh, Jesus and Yaritza decide to do a little shopping at the grocery store, and she's telling him like, "Hey, you need to. Alfonso needs to get handled. You understand that, right? Like something has to be done about him." <laughs> And he's like, yeah, 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 I know, I know. And then they run into an old friend of Jesus's, uh, yep. a guy named Dante. And Dante is, uh, you know, just a, a rich kid. He's just a spoiled rich kid. Yep. He's also, he also gives us some information, which is interesting. The first bit of information he gives us is interesting is that uh, quite a bit of time has passed, actually. According to Dante, like, Jesus has been gone for about a year. Yeah. Yeah, and, and and so when he introduces Yuritsa and is like, oh, this is my wife, and he's like, oh my god, yeah, you've been gone for a while. Yep, the second thing is, Dante has, um, has a little habit that uh, he's, he's used to be able to hook him up for. What is that habit? What was he? Oh. Was he in the, what's he in the mood for? Uh, just piles and piles of cocaine, Duncan. He's like, cocaine? hey. Yeah, you know, <laughs> gank, toot, snoot. <laughs> Booger sugar, <laughs> snow, clean burning propane. Yes. And um, so he's like, hey, uh, I'm throwing this party. Do you want to come? And by the way, you could bring some cocaine if you wanted. Just saying. Yeah. Just saying. Just saying. Right. You don't. It doesn't have to be a thing. You can just bring some. And Jesus is like, um, you know, I'll, I'll talk to you later. With, you know, we're, I'm not committing to nothing right now. And then, Duncan, we cut to some R&R time for Jesus and Yuritsa just hanging out by the pool, kicking around the old peanut, not worried about <laughs> much at all. And Jesus, it's a bold choice of Speedo. <laughs> yeah. No, you got you to gotta be the right kind of person for this. And Jesus is, yeah, just wearing those like super tight like red Speedo, uh, showing off every uh, nook and cranny of his junk. Yeah, and he's looking at Yuritsa, who 
decided, fuck this, the bathing suit. I'm just going to lay on the cement naked. Yeah, I applaud that. I mean, it's got to be hot, but what are you going to do? And as he's staring at her, he starts fantasizing about his mother being in the same position and in the same lack of clothing. And it is very clear that uh, Jesus has a very special relationship with his mother, one might say. Mm-hmm. All right, so we we go to um, Yuritsa wandering the hallways, kind of looking at portraits of Magdalena, and he she ultimately starts asking him questions about his mother, and she says, you know, she was she was kind of great. She she wanted me to be American, not Mexican. Uh, you know, she was a great mother. She gave me everything, and but you know, she never really told him what she did. That she was just she owned some businesses and stuff like that. It's worth seeing as well at this point, Asus is looking slightly more effeminate as well. Yes, yes. Like the way he's dressed, the color of his clothing, he looks incredibly manicured at this point. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's quite telling. I don't know if that, I don't actually really even know if that's going to go anywhere. Uh, but the fact he shaves his legs, the fact that he looks like he is maybe potentially wearing makeup, that he is wearing what we would consider some of the like the more attractive women and you know affluent areas to be wearing a kind of weird kind of almost like jogging suit of some description uh, even the way he's sitting is very effeminate even the way that he holds his cigarette is very effeminate as well but i don't know if this is because originally i was like that all right so he's he's clearly he's gay and this marriage of convenience is more for keeping up the appearances that he's straight which would like on some level kind of handle some of the questions we had about why he was naked in the shower getting cocaine poured over his head like three episodes ago. Right. Um, but by the end of this episode, I don't know if that's the case. So it's interesting, but it's worth noting anyway. Yeah. And yet, sorry, I cut you off in the middle of your story. No, no, no. About how his mum did not want him to follow the life, so to speak. Yeah, or, or was keeping it from him, at least until he became a man, which on his first day of communion, or his first communion, when he does become a man at the age of 13, mm-hmm. she spills it. She's like, here's what's going on, I'm the head of a cartel, and when he, and I think this is a perfectly natural reaction, he's like, I thought it was so cool, you know, my mom was really cool. Mm-hmm. And then he says he started swiping some blow from the house. Because it was everywhere, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and he said, so I started swiping some, which was really easy, and I started selling it at school. And then he gets busted by a teacher that he was supplying, by the way, and his mom is called in. Mm-hmm. And then he says, you know, she, was, she wasn't mad that I was selling cocaine. She was mad because of the one rule. And uh, Yuritsa can finish that line for him, which is, Nobody steals from the cartel. Yep. Uh Uh-huh. And then he says after that, like, his mom was his supplier. And this is where it gets mildly creepy. (laughs) Your board's not mine. Where he says, uh, from then on, it it was just the two of us. We just, we got high. We counted money. We planned trade routes. It was great. And the, you know, getting high and hanging out with your mom on blow not a thing like I I got stoned with my mom one time and it was 
easily the most uncomfortable I've ever been in my life. Yeah, I, I, I find myself thinking, can't relate. <laughs> like, <laughs> this, this scene is beyond my comprehension. But at the same time, though, it sounds like, you know, what I love about this show, and at the same time, I feel slightly, I feel slightly cheated that we didn't get to meet Magdalena. Because she sounds like a really interesting character, but I think also at the same time, I think she's a really interesting character because we are being told stories about her from other people. Yeah, well, I mean, her presence is everywhere. It looms, well, not only over the house, but just over everything that happens between those two. Um, in fact, the reason he's back, the only reason he's back in America is because of his dead mum. So uh, she's still kind of coordinating things from beyond the grave. Oh, she's a ghost. <laughs> <laughs> so after he, you know, kind of spills the, the creepy story about, you know, like, hey, we used to hang out all the time. It was great. And then, uh, you know, she gets killed by this cop. And then he, he says, look, I, at that point, I was nobody again. And I couldn't let that happen. So he kills the cop, a.k.a. Larry, from the first episode. Yep. And he's now dedicated to the idea that he is going to take back everything that is rightfully hers. And the next shot is him working out in, like, the, his private gym, one supposes. Mm-hmm. And is uh it, like while he's working out and pumping iron, um, there is a giant picture of Magdalena right behind him. Oh, of course. And man, just like ever, like you were saying, everywhere you turn in this house, it's Magdalena, 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 <laughs> Magdalena. And then, all right, so now it's time to go to uh, a meeting of Alfonso and Yaritza and Jesus. I thought you were never going to get to this bit. Jesus uh, answers the door, and Yaritza clearly does not. She is like she, she's doing her nails on the couch right by the door, and is like, "I'm not getting that fucking thing." That's <laughs> Jesus's job, stupid. And <laughs> Alfonso shows up with uh, the gun and, and and delivers it to Yaritza. And is like, "Hey, here you go." It, you know, we he worked hard on it. By the way, when she opens it up and and pulls out the uh the gun she mm-hmm. caresses it like it's a dick while alfonso is watching just to get him all tweaked up yeah and i was thinking to myself if only andy had been here to see this is how you mimic <laughs> stroking a cock yes this is how you do it <laughs> this is how we do it uh, uh, it's friday uh. night and i got a gun all right sorry your has got a gun <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> what did Magdalena do? <laughs> it's Janie's last IOU. That still works. <laughs> so oh, that episode's so silly. It's very silly. I'm going to say some foul words, but oh. uh, but I feel like this should be we should capture this dialogue All right, because I think it's important. So. um Alfonso is like, hey, I got something important to tell you, but I can tell you about that in a second. Then he gives the gun to Yoritza, and then he sees a picture of Magdalena. He's like, oh, she was a beautiful woman, and kind of rubs his dick a little bit. And then he finally reveals, like, hey, not for nothing, we accidentally killed the wrong guy. Yeah, maybe maybe just a smidge accidentally the thing that we didn't, you know, remember when I had that really important job and we were like, don't fuck it up. And I was like, you know me, I'm not the guy that would fuck it up. Um, um, I, I, I fucked up. Yeah. I, I fucked that up real good. And 
this is the point, like I said, a big fat asterisk here that this is not language I would ever use outside of, of describing this conversation. Okay. But he, this is where Jesus is like, well, you know what you are? You're a wetback, which is an incredibly, if you don't know, an incredibly derogatory term for someone of, of Mexican descent. Yeah. And he says, you know, and how about your mother? What was your mother like? I bet she was a fucking mule too. I bet, I bet she sat around while people shoved condoms filled with blow up her ass and tracked, tracked it back and forth across the border. Cause that's what you are too. You're a fucking mule. And Alfonso is like, what is going on here? <laughs> yeah. I've just brought the gun over what we're doing. <laughs> right. And he's like, I want you to get on, on your hands and knees. And Alfonso is like, are you kidding me right now? You fucking high right now. Right. And then Yaritza cocks her new, her fancy new gun that Alfonso brought her. Yeah, you know the gun that yeah, that she wants to keep, but not the bullets. Right, and <laughs> right, this is not a great position for Alfonso to be in. And then he finally does get on his hands and knees because you know he's got a fucking gun pointed at him. And then Alfonso or uh, Jesus tells him, "I want you to bark like a mule." Mm-hmm. And he's he's like, what? And he goes, yeah, bark like a mule, like your mother. And he 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 does. He's like, Arr! and <laughs> uncanny. And and Jesus is like, you're gonna find Damien, and you're gonna kill him. And when you do that, you're gonna tell Yuritza because you don't talk to me anymore. If I ask you a question, you answer me as the fucking mule you are. He's like, yes, sir. And he's like, uh, what did I tell you? And he's like, he's like, right. <laughs> and so Jesus, to his credit, being kind of a badass in this scene, just turns and walks away. That like leaves him on his hands and knees on the floor. Meanwhile, Yuritsa strolls over with the gun in hand and is like, you need to get out now. And so he does. It's a really cool scene. I really like that scene a lot. It works so well. It's, and you know, it's deliberate, it's slow, it's awkward, it's long. I, I just, yeah, it, it works really, really well. And it's kind of awesome to see, like, up to this point, Jesus has been fairly timid, you know what I mean, in terms of what his character has actually done. And then we just get this flash of, yeah, this guy's a badass. And yeah. he's even, he's even, his he's badassery is amplified with the fact that he's a fucking high priest's death sitting right behind him with a gun, which is now engraved. It feels like he has to kind of prove himself to her. And this is the way he can do that. Mm-hmm. And, but yeah, you're right. Like the, the character that shot Larry in the, in the face, um, has been kind of largely absent. He's, he's just been this quiet guy that's been, you know, kind of, you know, on the outskirts of all the action to some degree mm-hmm. and, and not anymore. And like now he's, he's balls deep in murder. Uh, again. Balls deep bow. Yeah. Which is great. That's what I want to see. Yeah. I want, I want a whole episode of that. Yes. We, we cut to Yuritsa getting ready. Uh, like she's got the leather pants on and the jacket with the eyeballs and the skull and she poses the the card, the tarot card for the high priestess, like on her nightstand. Mm-hmm. And she goes downstairs and finds Jesus standing by the pool having a smoke. And when he sees her, he says, oh, I thought you were my mom for a second. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, Oedipus, we hardly knew you. <laughs> 
And then she, uh, th- they hear some music playing. She's like, hey, what's that sound? Everybody knows what's going down. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. And uh, yes, he yeah, says, great. hey, you remember that cokehead we ran into, Dante? That's his party. And she says, well, do you want to go? And, and he doesn't say anything. She's like, well, I want to go. And so she just, uh, and she tells him, I want to see your past. Mm-hmm. And then she fucks off, leaving him at the pool, and she goes to the party. And uh, there, I mean, it's just a bunch of rich kids drinking, doing coke, chit-chatting, dancing. There's a DJ there, that kind of thing. It's a, you know, it's a party. P-A-R-T-Y, bull. Uh, And it's not at ground zero, which is unfortunate. She's kind of wandering through the place, and she runs into Dante. He's like, hey, you're here. Is Jesus coming? And and she's like, ah, whatever. Um, and then she just kind of keeps exploring the house and she goes into this bathroom attached to a bedroom and it's got like all these like diamond encrusted perfume bottles and stuff like that. And it's kind of clear Yaritza isn't, I don't know that she's vain. She just likes sparkly stuff or something, you know, she likes, she likes the, the trappings of elegance. Then she gets interrupted by this girl named Carrie who it turns out is Dante's sister. Yeah, now this is this is where things start to get a bit trippy and weird and crossovery. Right. This is the point where the two worlds begin to collide. Yeah, and I get excited. Yeah, me too. Yeah. <laughs> because Carrie has a friend in her bedroom and and like Carrie's like, "Oh, uh you're Yuritza, I heard about you. Like Dante told me that um Jesus got married and you're his wife. Where's uh where's Dante or not Dante, where's Jesus?" And she's like, "Ah, oh, he didn't come." And she's like, really? That's weird that you just came by yourself, but whatever. You want to come hang out with me and my friend? And she's like, sure. And her friend is Janie. What? Uh-huh. Yeah. As, as soon as I saw it, like, as soon as it, like, like, this is my friend Janie, I was like, eh? Right. What? The, and then it all made sense. The made worlds sense. have collided. She, like her dad, has an interest in maybe a certain white powder bowl. Yeah, she clearly likes a little uh, a little blow as well. Mm-hmm. Carrie kind of fucks up by asking her all these questions about like, hey, did you and Jesus get married because you were pregnant? Yep. And just being kind of ignorant about everything. And Jenny's like, shut up. You don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, and she's like basically doing how did you mean? And she's like, well, I was, you know, his dad's nurse. I'm like, oh, good for you. Well done, you know. Great to see you doing well for yourself. Like, that's the wrong thing to do because they don't understand who they are sitting. You're right. At all. Like, this is a game you do not fucking want to play because you have lost already. You lost as soon as you made eye contact with her. And she, they basically ask her if something along the lines of, you know, did um, he's just getting to like distributing cocaine because his mum gave him it to, you know, gave him it to distribute. And um, I kind of goes quiet, and she's like, "No." And Janie straight away is like, "That well, that's a lie." And then like Hannah's like, "Yay, she can do this! It's a game that she does. She can tell when people are lying, so we should play this game. This game's a really cool game, though. So it's like two truths and a lie. So, but we'll we'll up the stakes here. The the stakes that we'll raise for is if you tell her two truths and a lie, if she guesses the lie, you have to go and get us lots of cocaine." Yay! And then on the fly, she tries to make up another one. She's like, "Yeah, and if you win, you get to uh, uh, slap her in the face." And instantly, I'm like, "That Janie's face got but fucked up, bro." Yeah, yeah. Janie is now in trouble. 
Yeah, um, the mission. I'll the fucking mission. Right. <laughs> abort. Abort. High priestess about to smack you in the fucking face. <laughs> and so Janie is like, okay, give me give me your two truths and a lie to, to Yuritsa. And Yuritsa says, okay, I was born in a cave. I've killed 23 people. Oh, fuck. And my mother killed herself. Yep. And Janie I'm, is like, you got to try, man. You can't yeah. just give me the easy one. You never killed 23 people. Big mistake. Do you want to describe this? Because it's fucking amazing. Oh, yeah. Like, well, she gets it wrong, right? <laughs> and, um, <laughs> well, the, the thing about the thing about Eureka is she doesn't do anything by half measures, right? Is that safe to say? Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because you would think, you'd like, see, if I'm with that, you know, like... Bow, right? Let's play a game, and if I get things wrong, you can punch me, right? I guarantee the punch that you give me is going to be hard, but it's not going to be designed to injure me or leave me mark permanently, right? Not as hard as I can. It's not yeah. Fight Club, yeah, yeah. That's not how you reach the place because she gets up now. It's also worth saying this room is once again bathed in fucking red neon light. Right, so every inch of this place is like red and purple and all the rest. And she gets up and methodically walks over. I think Janie's still kind of confident that it's going to be a little love tap and then everyone will be like friends. The high priestess walks right over to her and slaps a fucking shower. Like, not only does she slap her once, which takes her clean off the couch, going <laughs> to the floor, and she's like, <gasps> holds her hand. She walks over and then gives her another two just for good method. Our friend Hannah's clearly at her face, so she starts laughing. But it's Two like really hard slaps after it, so much so that my eyes started to water a little bit. Yeah, like, no, oh. it, it's the kind of smack like the the joke you will hear in my neck of the woods, Duncan, mm-hmm. is he got smacked so hard his kids hurt. Yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah, three generations down from Janie will be crying because of it. Yeah. Uh, it is like, and and once again, look. The thing is though that like. Obviously, the angle the camera was at and stuff, it looked real as fuck. Yeah. It like slapped the taste right out of her mouth. Yeah, I'm kind of, yeah, I'm definitely curious, like, hey, was there a point where, you know, the girl who played Janie or, or Refn or somebody was just like, you know, I want you to hit me as hard as you can. <laughs> and and that's exactly what happened. She gets, uh, you know, I know we've said it, you just can't overstate how hard this smack looks and it's followed up by a second that looks just as hard yeah like, it's like what yeah it's like if you didn't feel that first one here's another one <laughs> right it like and we know that she felt the first one because it took her off the couch <laughs> <laughs> yeah it knocked her out of her seat and then she got another one for good measure oh it, man oh. so fucking good so good and yeah like this is the first time we've seen Janie on the back foot, you know what I mean? Yes, yeah, no, she is in control of every scene she's in, like with her father, with Martin, everyone, and it's it is a hundred percent the high priestess of death that is going to be like you aren't shit. Yeah, you <laughs> you are very much the big fish in a small pond. Now let me let me show you what a real big fish looks like. Let, let me just put it this way, though, right? What was awesome about this scene is not only does she slap her, but Janie has also come to the realization that this woman has killed 23 people. Right. And she is walking slowly towards you to slap you in the fucking face real fucking hard. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, imagine if you were doing that. And like you said, the, like the, the first layer is, oh, I just got smacked by a stranger. 
Yeah. The second layer is, I'm lucky I just got smacked. Yeah, because she's murdered 23 people. Yes. Yes. Oh, god damn. Did we actually, the, like, memory set, did we find out what the lie was? No. No. Because Nicholas Winden Refn doesn't care. <laughs> He's the, like that. It's not the like, point. Yeah. It's not that. It's, <laughs> that is not the lesson we're learning today, children. Right. Yeah. No, the, the lesson is absolutely Yaritza is, is a stone cold killer and Janie has run headlong into someone who is not going to take her shit. Does not yeah. matter that she was on the red carpet at 15 or that her, her father's <laughs> yeah. rich. None of that shit matters. Yeah. It is, it is just like you're with a stone cold killer. Yeah. You do not get enrolled into Princeton when your face is all slapped up. <laughs> no, uh, I can't wait to see her in the next episode with her face all blown up. <laughs> what happened to you, Janie? I got smacked in the fucking face, hard, right, by somebody who meant it. Yeah, uh, yeah, because so you could tell. Like Yuritsa was just like, "I'm gonna shut this bitch up." Oh, so good. It's so gonna good. feel good. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> so we cut back to Jesus, who he's is. Just yeah, just looking at a map, uh, you know, making plans and whatnot, like he's doing a heist in GTA. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then he he sees like some hands wrap around a pole, like some a woman's arms, mm-hmm. and he's like, "The fuck is this?" And he goes to investigate, and it's not a woman, Duncan. It's a snake. Yeah, like a, a python or something. Hey, everybody, that's just me again. Um, <laughs> Eat the apple, Adam. Uh, so- <laughs> I brought fruit. So, um, he, then we have this shot of him lying in bed with this big snake wrapped around his body, not around, like not squeezing, but just kind of laid over him. Yes. Then he gets out of bed when he, and there's no more snake. This is all just uh, ref and craziness. And he gets up to go find Yuritsa, who is back in her bedroom after she came home from the party. Mm -hmm. And he asks her point blank, like, why did you come back with me and she says because she's awesome she says uh because miguel is afraid of me because death follows me Mm -hmm. in fact she's here with us now and he's like who and he's and she's like your mother she's all around us and she sees you and he just gets a boner yeah and she asks what do you want from your mother Mm -hmm. and she says do you want to touch her do you want to feel her? Mm-hmm. And he says, I want to taste her. Oh, no. And Yuritsa spreads her legs and says, then why don't you? Mm-hmm. So he strips down, crawls to the bed, and then up the bed. Yeah, but once again, kind of mimicking what Martin did this, like a couple yes. episodes ago, Janie. Yeah, except Janie just sat there all dressed like and and... Yuritsa, the shot is the camera pointing down between her spread thighs mm-hmm. as Martin crawls up, staring, assumedly, right into her vagina. And then he says, Mama. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah, I've got to say it's weird. Uh, things that, that were interesting on the episode as well, we do hear a slight conversation from Janie that Martin is back. So he made it, he did make it back and he's recovering from the wound that he got in the previous episode. It's just in the background. It's just in passing. So everything should be okay 
there. He will be back to fight another day. But yeah, this episode finishes and oh, this one might not be heavy on the action, but once again, it reaffirms the fact that Yuritsa maybe is the coolest character of the show. If not, she's definitely top tier. Kind of fleshes out the timeline. So it's been about a year since episode one has passed, which I never thought it was going to be that sort of show. I thought things would have been over in a more concise time period. But basically, we have a, a power play going on. We now have crossover with our main characters. And also, at the same time, we have, is it safe to say, two kind of male characters who are both borderline kind of sociopaths, but at the same time, both very much under the influence and under the control of very powerful, strong women. Yeah. Who yeah. are kind of dictating their power plays and who should stay and who should go. So it's weird how the two characters are now becoming like weird mirror images of each other, but on different sides of the law, although they're kind of doing the same thing. And one's a cop, one's a gangland leader. It's... it's I, I like it. I'm not entirely sure I know where, th- even now at this stage, where we're like, what, four episodes out, where I know where things are actually going. I mean, ultimately, we're going to get some crossover, but is it going to be a crossover in terms of, is, is I mean, is Damien going to be in a position where he says, listen, I know he's just his back, he killed uh, my henchman, right? So you, Martin, need to go. Because I don't think Martin's going to do that sort of job anymore. Or is information going to leak out that maybe Martin was more involved than he just thought he was? Or, you know, are we going to get a showdown of some description between the high priestess and, you know, her spiritual counterpart, the spiritual healer? Is that going to happen? Oh, Um, that would be the best. Well, it has to be when you think about it. Both the women that are dictating to these guys who they should be killing and not killing are heavily influenced by spiritualism. So there's a weird crossover between that. So... You know, like, where is this show going? And I, I, I genuinely, at this stage, I can't answer that question. All I know is both these episodes couldn't have been any more different if they tried, but I enjoyed them a whole hell of a lot each. I thought both of them were fucking great and just reaffirmed these amazing characters that Wyndham Refn seems to be able to produce on the screen. Yes, episode six, if you're not a fan of the slow burn pace, then this one's a bit more challenging. It was a bit longer as well. We haven't even talked about the fact that you're 22 minutes into this episode before you get the opening credits, the two old to die young. 22 minutes, which is fucking insane. <laughs> like, But yeah, I'm still very much loving the show. How about yourself? What was your kind of thoughts at the end of episode six? Uh, yeah, I was actually more on board um, at, after this pair of episodes, uh, and I still haven't watched ahead just, you know, because of I'm schedule same, and whatnot, yeah. but, um, after watching these two episodes, I, I was like, man, this is all like, I can see the crescendo building mm-hmm. and I, I'm look, the character you, says, you, you can, you can feel it building. You can see it building, but you can't visualize the end. Right, well, That's how I feel anyway. Yeah, well, because crazy shit happens all the time. <laughs> so there's no there's no sense that like, oh, this is predictable and I know how all this is gonna come together and I like in a in a two hour film, like even drive or something like that, I feel like you can kind of you can kind of sniff out how the plot beats of drive are going to happen. 
Yeah. Whereas with something like this, because every character is so self-interested and is only going to do what is going to further their own ends, that with the exception of maybe Jesus and Yuritsa, who are who are somewhat tied to the cartel and this sort of moral philosophy of that, that mm-hmm. maybe that makes them kind of the heroes because they have at least a moral philosophy. Yeah. But also, you know, kind of Vigo does, but we don't really understand how much, you know, Gina Malone as Diana, we don't understand how much she is like guided by any kind of morality. Um, there seems to be spirituality, but is that true or is it fake? And so I have a ton of questions about that, but, but those questions are what keep me interested in the show where I'm like, I want to know what happens when Janie shows up with her face all smacked up and Mm -hmm. you know, is, is Martin going to be like, Hey, you can't smack my bitch up. And <laughs> like a pimp, is he like, what if he shows up on, you know, Yuritsa and Jesus's doorstep? Like, Hey, what'd you do with my girlfriend? Mm-hmm. And is like, Holy shit, you're that guy. You know, like that's totally possible. And that's totally an avenue. This show could go down or yeah. not at all. You know, like that's the thing that makes it so interesting is that Revan is making weird decisions for where to take these characters and as a result, it makes the narrative unexpected. Yeah. And and so, like, even something like episode five, it's like, oh, he's going to go kill those dudes. But the details of how that plays out are kind of fascinating. So even though I knew where the, or I thought I knew where, where the episode was headed, and it turns out I did, it still is in- incredibly engaging because of just how bizarre like and mandy starts playing and i'm like okay i didn't expect that like i i mm-hmm. figured they would a car chase was inevitable but not like this not like mm-hmm. this um, <laughs> not like this so yeah i'm just having a blast with these and and in a weird way like i, I didn't think i would be saying this going into this season See but uh, but i'm kind of disappointed that there's only four episodes left yeah and i like i'm i'm with you i like i could this to me feels like you know that excited we the, the parallels are that excited way when you first watch the first season of twin peaks you know what i mean yeah. and the, like things start to take a weird turn pretty fucking quick in that show and you just roll with it and if you get an episode where maybe we're only getting a bit of weirdness uh but we're getting a whole lot of like kind of crazy talk and at the same time i like we've got for no reason at all like song and uh, like but part of me never wants that to be finished you never really want the resolution of the the mystery and i'm kind of here like we have what will be i mean you've got to remember it's four episodes at like movie length so not the last one the last one's like 30 minutes long really yeah the episode 10 is like 36 minutes so I would imagine that's just wrapping up the story then. Some little yeah. coda on the back yeah. end of it, yeah. So maybe three movie lengths and a, and a coda still to go. Yeah. But it's t- to me, what's really the the thing that gets me like excited about doing this. Not only the fact because Nicholas Winder Refn and I, I love it is like how this might be the right format for him. Like in terms of when I, when I think about like your complaints in the past of what Refn has done, right? To be honest, like your complaints are in this show. Like, like he's not he's not really changed what he's doing all that much. Maybe it just works 
better over a longer form than it does over a shorter form. Uh, maybe so, because I, I feel like the the leisurely pace of it mm. feels a little more like you're just exploring the world and its characters, yeah. as opposed to like, hey, we've got 30 minutes of narrative that is going to be 90 minutes of film. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, again, this is going to, like, watching this is going to make me go back and watch Drive again and, mm -hmm. and, and Neon Demon and just be like, all right, am I, like, did I finally just get the antenna right? Yeah. Or or do I just prefer, like you said, like, long-form reffin, which is entirely possible, too, that just there's something about the, maybe it's just the expectation of, like, oh, this is, an episode of a TV show that's 90 minutes long. So mm -hmm. sitting down for that, I, I feel like the leisurely pace is expected. Yeah. Maybe I mean, there's that's also, it. I mean, also in the background, you remember that the one that you do like is the one that's probably most akin to this TV show. So like yes. neon demon, certainly from the point of view of the style and some of the, the kind of spiritualism for sure is in Neon Demon, but it doesn't really bear that much more than a visual resemblance to this movie. But from a narrative resemblance to this movie, as well as a visual one, uh, Only God Forgives is definitely in the same boat. I, I want to say Only God Forgives is his longest movie, so... I mean, once again, maybe the fact that it's a story just told over. Like, if you're going to have that kind of um, deliberately slow pace um, and your movie is an hour and 45 minutes long, then you need to be able to deliver in that. And whilst I, I think he does, I know a lot of people just don't feel he does that. That may be over a two-hour, 30-minute movie, for example, when he's dealing with a similar sort of narrative and a similar sort of pace, maybe that feels more satisfying. I, I mean, I can't, I genuinely can't wait for you to finish these and go back and check those movies and have a conversation because if something does click and you watch them, you're like, I watched Drive this time, I fucking loved it, or I watched Neon Demon, you know, and that's a real... What I want to try and get you to do is explain what it is you think has changed. Because I know we're saying, like, maybe I'll see something, maybe this is the way it just clicks for you, but it'd be interesting to hear a bit more in-depth of that. So that might be something for, I know we've got a lot coming up, but way down the line, uh, just doing an episode on those two movies, or just having a conversation about Wind and Refn in general maybe yeah. fun. Uh, yeah, and, and that's definitely a conversation I, I'm looking forward to having. Like after this, and and like I said, probably going back and watching at the very least Drive because Drive yeah. was a movie that it, it, there were parts of it I really liked, and maybe now that you know I've got the tin foil on the antenna, mm -hmm. um, that watching it again, I'm just gonna be like, oh no, Drive's fucking the best, you know? I can see I can see that reaction happening, but uh, I'm super excited to see where the show's headed, um, and I, I'm eager for the show to take a turn. That by the end of the season, I'm back. Like, I'm out. I'm out again, Duncan. Yeah. Revan <laughs> fucked it up at the end, you know. But, no, I've, I've really been enjoying um, going through this this season uh, of Too Old to Die Hard. Uh, <laughs> I just, it, like, every there are enough characters, I think. And that, that's the other thing, is that the characters I'm just incredibly engaged with. Yeah. Um, I, I like uh, Eureka, of course, but I also am intrigued by Jesus and Martin and particularly Vigo. And, you know, it's it's cool. 
Um, and the the quirky ones that are in the background as well that are are just like the cherry on top of the sundae because what you're getting is you've got the you've got Theo and then you've got the lieutenant as well. Like all these characters that might come back in, we might, and if we don't, we don't see them. But if they come back in, where does that go? You know what? Come, yeah. What spells out of that? So, I mean, Theo seems like he might have a bit more of an arc, special with Janie, but the lieutenant that might have just been like a two and done for him. You know what I mean? Well, he might not be back, right? But you know, that's that's the equivalent of little Billy. Here's this you know crazy character that pops up for an episode, but kind of makes the episode. It, it's it's the right you know amount of spice yeah. for the episode. I don't know. Part of me just really wanted like the last thirty minutes of this show to be a Jungian conversation over beer and steaks. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> Right, no longer conversation for another day. Yeah. Uh, oh man, so mm. good, man, so good. This is like, it, I mean, I was excited to watch it, but it went far beyond my expectations and what we've seen in it. And uh, this might be the sleeper for us this year. Uh, we've still got some pretty cool shows that hey, we got a new season of the Terror coming up right around the yep. corner, and a new season of Mindhunter. So yeah, uh, I know a lot of good shit coming our way, but. The one that I am overjoyed that we're talking about is a little show called Too Snooty for That Booty. <laughs> Too Fruity for That Booty. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, I, I think I, I'm, I'm very excited. So uh, we'll be back, uh, of course, in a week. But before we leave, Duncan, mm-hmm. we have one last bit of business, which is for you to say what you're looking forward to seeing in the coming week and where people uh, can get more out of you should they want some. So tomorrow night I am going out to Glasgow because uh, it's get the movie's getting a very limited show in the UK. But I'm going to see the new Jim Jarmusch. I'm going to see. Uh, I was going to say Too Old to Die Young, but that's not right. Uh, was was that one called again? The Too Dead Don't Die. Yeah, the, the, Too, yeah dead the, Too Dead to, dead to Not Die. die. <laughs> Yeah, so I'm going out to see that, so I will have seen that by the next time we speak. And you can check out my review, which will probably drop early next week for that one. Uh, an episode on Annabelle will be out by the time this show drops. Uh, you can check that out on podcasts under the stairs by going to facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash teapots cast or just searching podcasts under the stairs. Fantastic. I am looking forward to You know what I'm going to finally catch up to is that uh, Shazam movie, which I heard was quite good. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. You will have fun with that movie. That's all I'm looking for out of it. Just a good time, mm-hmm. and that's what I hear. Uh, mm-hmm. So I will definitely uh, be watching that, along with any number of things. Like, I'm putting together a new Hero Hero Go Show episode, and and uh, I'm watching some stuff for that, which has been quite good, and mm-hmm. yada, yada. But, hey, if you want to hear more out of me, you, you just go over to legionpodcasts.com. Remember, it's plural. And uh, there you can find not only stuff I do, but other great shows. We just got a, a new show, Duncan, uh, called Desmond's Flicks. Which, I saw this. Which began as a YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. And uh, Desmond, the host of the show, uh, does the, uh, an audio podcast as well. And so he didn't start the thing uh, and it didn't begin on Legion Podcasts. But it's there now. So uh, you can... Uh, subscribe to uh, to his show uh, as well as just subscribe to the Legion podcasts podcast feed and you're going to get that in in lots lots more. Are you saying that he didn't start the fire? Um, no, but he was aware that it's always been burning since the world's been turning. <laughs> nice. He was very nice. clear on that that point. <laughs> 
yeah, so that's it. We'll be back uh, next Tuesday mm-hmm. is when these shows drop uh, with another episode of Duncan and Bo, our two Disney to be princesses. Oh, that's a good one. We're, yeah. we're keeping that one. <laughs> and uh, in the in the meantime, uh, say good night, Duncan. Good night, Duncan. Bye. I remember all my life raining down as cold as ice. Shadows of a man, a face through a window, crying in the night. The night goes into morning, just another day. Happy people pass my way. Where went?